shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Those are the seven dirty words George Carlin said you sh- you can never say on television. He did a whole bit about that in a record he put out in, uh, I think it was 1972, called Class Clown. I remember my dad brought it back one day from a business trip to New York to our little house in uh, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And, uh, man, I love that record. I, I listened to it probably hundreds of times, certainly dozens of times, but listen to it a lot. And, um, you know, the point of the record, the point of a lot of uh, George Carlin's humor was that people who try to control what you say are trying to control your thoughts, but they can't control your thoughts. All they're doing is controlling. It's like treating um, a disease by treating the symptoms. You're not treating the disease. In fact, by covering up the symptoms, you allow the disease to fester and get much worse. That's what's happening in our culture of offense. Everybody's fucking offended these days. Jonah Hill calls some asshole paparazzi a uh, uh, fucking faggot, and he's got to go on a apology tour on all the late night shows and abjectly apologize for calling someone a faggot. Dan Savage, the first seven or eight years he had his column, every letter that he was responding to started out, hey, faggot. You know, you can use words in lots of different ways. If Jonah Hill's a homophobe, then he's a homophobe. If, uh, you know, if somebody's a racist, they're a racist. Uh, I, th- I might have spoken about Louis C.K.'s brilliant thing where he talks about the N-word. Nothing irritates me. Few things, I should say, irritate me as much as the N-word and the C-word and the D-word and the E-word and the fucking F-word. Who the hell are we kidding and what fucking grade are we in in this country? I mean, Jesus Christ, Louis C.K. says, oh, sorry, I said Jesus Christ. I guess that makes me what? A fucking anti-Christian, a pagan? I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, Louis C.K. says, you know why you say the N-word? All you're doing is you're making me say nigger in my head, right? If you want to say nigger, you say it. Don't make me say it. The idea that we're actually improving anything by saying the N word or the C word or the, I don't even know what half the fucking words, the letter words refer to anymore. It's absurd. I mean, what what are we going to do when we have, you know, two N words? Is it going to be the, the, you know, big N word and the small N word or the capital N word and the non-capital or the, it'll be the N word, uh, you know, to the first power, the N word to the set. What the fuck is going on, people? Words are just reference anyway, right? Words just refer to things. So all we're doing is we're saying, okay, let's take this symbol and make it refer to that symbol, which refers to this idea or thing. We're not addressing anything. So getting freaked out about Jonah Hill or Dan Savage, of all people, there was, I tweeted a thing a few days ago about how Dan Savage seems to have gotten in trouble at the University of Chicago um, in a sort of a lecture he was doing there, a question and answer conversation with students. And um, he was talking about the word queer and how the word queer used to be a slur. I remember that. I'm 52. I remember, you know, queer meant 
you know, somebody was queer. I mean, I can remember, I'm so fucking old, I can remember when it didn't, when it wasn't an insult, and then it was, and then now it's it's not anymore. It's, you know, a, a word that uh, people with alternate sexualities, I guess, use to uh, sort of a catch-all term for people who aren't uh, standard issue, sexually speaking. Uh Anyway, he was talking about that, and some of the uh, someone in the room got um, freaked out that he was using the word queer and that he shouldn't be using the word queer, and it became this big deal. And uh, you know, <laughs> so so Dan Savage is uh, in trouble with the alternative sexual community, or at least some elements in it, for not being sufficiently um, pure of heart and of language. To which I say, fuck you people. Come on. No one's done more for your cause than Dan Savage has. He's been out there on the fucking battlefront for 20 years, if not more, armed only with his intelligence and his sense of humor and his absolute commitment to honesty and sincerity and a a great desire to help people. And to see people in that community turn on him, that really sucks. And I've, I know it's there. I know that energy is there because I've seen it in talks that I've given where people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, and try to turn me against Dan, you know, like, oh, I don't know, Dan, you know, Dan said that there are no bisexual men, you know, he's the, such, he's our enemy. And, and they literally say things like that. He's our enemy. You know, and the assholes on the right, they don't do this to each other. You know, they might not agree on all the details, but they stick together. It's on the left where everybody fractures into all these backbiting, insufficiently politically correct, insufficiently pure, insufficiently towing the line. Fucking power hungry hippies, I swear. Nothing against hippies. I love hippies, real hippies. Hippies who actually believe and live and let live who believe in freedom as long as you're not hurting anyone else, who believe in playfulness and sense of humor and in going up to the line and sometimes crossing the line, but doing it with good intentions because we know that we've all got peace in our hearts. And as long as we've got peace in our hearts, then we can let our words get a little crazy sometimes. That's the nature of true hippiedom as far as I'm concerned. These fucking scolding, self-proclaimed hippies, fuck those people. My guest this week is Alec Dixon, uh, one of the uh, the owners, partners, directors of SC Labs, which I, I think he said is the biggest marijuana chemical laboratory in the country, possibly in California. I, I don't remember, um, but it's it's a big one. Uh, he and I had a great conversation about marijuana chemistry, clinical uses, um, you know, pain, uh, anti-tumor properties, all sorts of interesting uh, characteristics of the marijuana plant that uh, are underappreciated and uh, are way, way behind schedule in getting um, used for so many different uh, applications because of the insane, you know, it's the same, it's the same adolescent silliness that makes people, you know, say the N word. It's the same thing expressed in the government that tells people not to get high. There, there, there's this irrational 
childish approach to issues. It's the same thing that, that makes, you know, the medical community tell doctors that they must always fight against death. You know, you can never let your patient die with dignity. Used to be that's one of the main things the doctors did. Now, no, drain their bank account, you know, make them sell their house so they can get a hip replacement in their 80s. Do I sound angry? Jeez, I don't feel that angry. I'm jet lagged, though. I just got back from Spain, so I'm kind of um, kind of uh, fogged in. But it's a beautiful day in Portland, and I'm not angry. But I am gearing up to get into some serious writing of Civilized to Death, so I've got a lot of this stuff on my mind. Got some new sponsors this week. Uh, Club W. Today's episode is brought to you by Club W, W for wine, that is, a really high-ranked wine subscription service. If you Google them, you'll see they're in the top five um, uh, wine categories in magazines like Forbes and so on because they're apparently really good at picking out wines for you. I signed up this morning. They give you like this, it's like a five-question sort of survey thing they ask about you know what you think about coffee how you take your coffee how you're sort of they're trying to get a profile for your palate and then they recommend some wines to you uh 13 bucks a bottle they send them off i think you get like a half off if you order uh, in the first day when you sign up um i haven't tried the wines yet but they're on the way and apparently from what i'm told they're very good at picking wines you like so uh, how it works is if you know what kind of wine you like, you can just go ahead and buy it. Uh, featured bottles are 13 bucks each, and uh, their curator picks start at 14 bucks each. If you're into new wine, they have something called a palate profile, which is what I did this morning, and that predicts what kind of wine you'll be into. Then their curators make recommendations that you choose from. And here's the crazy thing. If you don't like something, they'll send you a replacement or a refund. Okay, so the experience is commitment free, guaranteed to make you happy. Cancel, skip a shipment whenever you want. Um, as I said, I haven't tried them yet, but they're sending me a bottle, three bottles actually, uh, and I'll I'll let you know how that goes. Um, but anyway, as I said, they've got a great reputation. It's a cool service because you get the stuff right to your door. And I wanted to get you in on this uh, for Father's Day special because they're offering free shipping on all gift orders. So if you're if your old man's a drinker, he likes wine, and what old man doesn't like wine? Come on. Uh, you might want to get him a, a pack of that stuff. It's a fun, cool way to learn about wine and support the podcast. If you go to clubw.com slash sex at dawn, your first bottle is on the house. So whether it's for you or someone who's into wine or wants to get into wine, check out Club W at clubw.com slash sex at dawn. This episode is also brought to you by ExtremeRestraints.com. Save 20% on all your bedroom needs by using the discount code SUMMERSEX. We've moved on from spring sex. We're into summer sex now. Extreme Restraints has everything from vanilla products like condoms, massage oils, body jewelry, etc. to uh, pretty kinky stuff. And you can really let your imagination run wild. Extreme Restraints has thousands of products to choose from. If you're having trouble finding intimate products you want at an affordable price, check these guys out. Also, you don't have the weirdness of shopping in a you know, leather store. You can just do it online and the stuff arrives in a discreet package. They have things for men and women of all different sexual proclivities and tastes. So if you're looking for some hardcore gear to liven up your sex life or looking for something low key and sexy, extreme restraints.com has a lot to offer. 
fast, discreet international shipping, superior products, and guaranteed service. You can't go wrong. So if you're looking to stock up on practical practical items, Jesus, this is a long one, isn't it? Um, You can save 20% off your order. Let's get to the nitty gritty here. 20% off your order and you help us out by using the code SUMMERSEX at checkout. All right, without further ado, let's get into this Alec Dixon interview. It was a lot of fun. We uh, we were chatting at a at a beer house just down the street, and uh, it was cool. We were sitting there on the porch with microphones, and people were walking by wondering what the hell was going on. Uh, <laughs> it's a good way to do an interview, though. It was a lot of fun. All right, uh, hope you enjoy this podcast, and... Uh, I've got some big news coming up, but I won't get into it this this uh, this week. But uh, we're going to be making some some big changes around here, which should make the experience easier for you and uh, more enjoyable. So there's that. All right. I hope you enjoy it. Bye. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. All right, I'm here with Alec Dixon of SC Laboratories, who's up from Santa Cruz. I guess that's what the SC stands for. Uh, you know, it's always kind of been up in the air. We also have a lab down in uh, Santa Ana, uh, down in Southern California. So it could be oh, you know, okay. Southern California or Safe Cannabis. It's always kind of just been <laughs> up in the air, you know, SE. <laughs> nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just stick with the letters. It's not short for anything, right? Yeah. So we're here at, uh, what's the name of this place? This is the Lompoc, I think? Or Lompoc Brewing. Lompoc Brewing on Division Street yeah. in beautiful Portlandia. Looking out on a yard of kids playing, a sunny day. It's fantastic. Love Portland. Anyway, this is your first time up here, you were saying? Yeah, this is my first time in Portland. It's an incredible city. It's really beautiful, and it's one of the sunny days I hear. There's not too many of them in Portland. <laughs> exactly. When they come, they're beautiful. <laughs> and uh, you, uh, I was just checking the battery levels. This, I'm using the Zoom H6, ladies and gentlemen, which is... A wonderful little machine, but the problem with the Zooms is that if the batteries die, you lose everything. <laughs> so you have to start all over again. Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, as always happens with uh, interesting podcast guests, we started chatting, uh, just shooting the shit here, and we started getting into really interesting stuff, and I was like, oh, fuck, we've got to turn on the mics. Don't, shut up. Stop talking, man. Uh, so what were we talking about? You were talking about, the, uh, first of all, let's talk about your lab and, and why we're doing this. So Perfect, perfect. Yeah, um, yeah so, so you know, um, my name is Alec Dixon. I'm one of the co-founders of uh, a company uh, that is a cannabis testing analytical laboratory. And um, so... so we are, pro- are located in California. We have a lab in Santa Cruz, California, as well as in uh, uh, Orange County area, so one in Southern California. And, you know, basically what we do is we um, analyze the um, – we quantitatively analyze the chemical properties of cannabis. So the, the – you could call it the chemotype, so the cannabinoids and which ones are in the plant, THC, THCA, CBD, CBDA, CBN. You know other minor cannabinoids, and are those all psychoactive to some extent? No, no, no. Um, um, actually, THC 
specifically is the main psychoactive component to cannabis. It's the main psychoactive cannabinoid. There are other mildly psychedelic, can, uh, pardon me, mildly psychoactive cannabinoids right. like um, CBN, which is a degradation product of THC, as well as THCV, uh, tetrahydrocannabivarin, which is uh, um, common, uh, was, which is recessive, but you can find it in certain like strains central to um, Central Africa, like around Malawi. Really, cannabis. My understanding is that sativa is native to the Western Hemisphere and indica is native to India, the Himalaya region. Yeah, you, you'll you'll see it. it it's a lot, a lot, a lot of um, what we kind of differentiate indica and sativa from is is equatorial and like uh, hemispheric. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of the you know what what historically have been called sativas that don't really even exist anymore. They you know, would grow closer to the equator and they would, you know, have, you know, flowering times of up to like 20 to 24 weeks, you know, and, and then Indica's, you know, would be, you know, kind of, you know, central to, you know, different areas of India and Pakistan and Afghanistan and, and, um, these strains, you know, had much shorter times, but all yeah. common strains that you see currently, all current like U.S. land race strains that are, you know, any of the common ones that people smoke on the daily basis, you know, are, 100% not indica or sativa. They're, they're hybrids. all hybrids, yeah. And they're, so they're like an indica-dominant hybrid or a sativa-dominant hybrid. And, um, and yeah, and so, so basically, you know, the difference, you know, because since um, indicas and sativas have been so hybridized, you know, um, intentionally to breed for psychoactivity, to shorten flowering times, mm. to increase yields, increase psychoactivity, um, for these various reasons, you know, we cross, 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 cross strains and, and bred for really high THC, but in the process, essentially bred out um, most other um, minor cannabinoids, and so so indicas and sativas alike, you'll see very just vary in different levels of delta nine THC or THC acid, which is what the plant produces, and then the what, what differentiates the effects of one versus the other when it comes down to it is the synergistic interaction that <coughs> pardon me that the terpenes have with the thc what are terpenes um so ter terpenes are the, the the essences of smell so they're aromatic compounds so like ah. essence of lemon is lemonine ah, okay. essence of, gotcha. um, you know um one, one of the one of the terpenes in lavender is linalool um one of the terpenes in in clove and um on pepper is beta caridophylline mm. and so these different terpenes will be high in certain strains of cannabis and actually have a synergistic and antagonistic effect working with the THC. Interesting. Yeah, I would, just before you came, I, I uh, took a sip of this beer, which is very hoppy, and I swear it smells like marijuana. Yes. Hops and, and marijuana are related, aren't they? Are they similar they, in some way? They are, um, I think, like distant cousins or something like that. But, you know, one of the terpenes, if you took raw hops and, you know, get a really good smell on it... It's very high in myrcene, you know, and myrcene, you know, mango and hops. Myrcene is actually what gives a strain, you know, what people refer to as the indica effect, you know, so. The, the couch lock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so mm. just to kind of like clarify a little bit, you know, the words indica and sativa historically have, have been all we have had to attempt to describe why this one strain makes you feel this way and this other strain makes you feel this way. Right. But now that science is around and analytical testing laboratories like ourselves are around, all of a sudden, we can go deep in the plant using, you know, liquid chromatography and gas chromatography, and you know, all of a sudden, we can start analyzing for terpenes and analyzing for the cannabinoids. And so, 
you know, looking into the plant, you know, now and and with science, science uh, and the deep inquiry that it has on cannabis right now, it's showing, um, you know, the, there there's this um, researcher. His name is Ethan Russo. And oh, he, I know Ethan Russo. Yeah, awesome. Maps. He, he's funded yes. by Maps a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he works with GW Pharmaceuticals. He's um, you know, he's an incredible boss level scientist that kind of, you know, two different ways kind of flip the whole industry on its head and the whole movement on its head because he introduced what's called the entourage effect, and he it, he wrote a, a, a peer reviewed journal entry called uh, Taming THC, um, and it <clears throat> it's basically what introduces the concept of the entourage effect, and the entourage effect is the it's it, it basically the synergistic and antagonistic relationship between the terpenes and the cannabinoids because that is what constitutes what's called the chemotype. And the chemotype is the chemical makeup specifically accounting for why a strain makes you feel this way or why a strain has certain effects on, you know, autoimmune disease or, you know, because mm. not to get too, you know, nerdy down that path right now, but like, you know, certain terpenes like beta carotene, interestingly selectively binds to one of our endocannabinoid receptors in our gut. In the gut. Yeah. Oh. And so so all of a sudden a strain that's high in beta carotene, such as Girl Scout cookies, you know, might be a more you know, appropriate strain to give like somebody anti nausea like some type of uh, digestive tract disorder. Right. You know, or, right. Interesting. or if they were trying to target like the, the C B two receptor, which is the endocannabinoid receptor that's in our immune system and you know, in our gut. <clears throat> right. And then our peripheral, peripheral nervous system. Crazy stuff. We're we're reporting we're recording a podcast. <laughs> and you're you're now a guest. <laughs> it's like having a it's like having a talk show. <laughs> People just yeah. walking by. Um, that was a good interrupt, though, because I was just like going deep. So <laughs> she was kind of cute too. Yeah, sure. Uh, what, what the hell are we talking about there? Oh, oh, okay. So, so just to, until we before we get too off too far off on various tangents, um, when did you start the company? We started SC Laboratories in um, about February two thousand eleven. So we've been open for right. about, you know, three and a half years now. So you're, I mean, because the timing's so important with all this stuff with marijuana, the legalization, the state laws, the federal laws. I mean, everything's changing so quickly now. Like, like deciding to do something like this when you did it was pretty ballsy. What, who's your, um, who's your market? Who's, who, who are you working for? Absolutely. Um, so, so basically, <coughs> excuse me, um, so, so. The clients that we service, you know, in the state of California are, um, you know, collectives that are trying to know active milligram content and okay. whether or not something has microbiology on it or pesticides oh, good. for patient consumer good. safety. Right. Um, we, we, we work with infused product makers, you know, these different um, product yeah, makers. that take, edibles and, and all Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Infused, you know, balms, edibles, right. you know, hash oil extracts, these different types of. You know, so we, we test for them for, you know, residual solvent levels for um, active milligram content again. And then we test for growers, um, you know, people that are kind of cultivating cannabis. to um, Harley Davidson for the man <laughs> with a small penis. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> I know the big the monkey bars. I know. Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know. 
you know, if if Harley riders have a small penis, then BMW riders have the biggest dicks in the world. I have to say, as a former BMW rider, because uh, all they do is purr. You know, you're not calling attention to yourself. You're just purring down the highway. Uh, anyway, do you have a background in organic chemistry? Um, I don't myself. My my uh, my partner uh, Josh Werzer, who's our kind of uh, president and chief science officer, he was the kind of founding chemist behind. So, what are you, the rich guy? No, no, you're I'm, the muscle. What, I'm, what's, I'm, what's your role here? I'm, I'm a bit of the weed guy. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're the weed guy. You know, All right, I, I, I got gotcha. you. I used to be in the navy, and I got out of the navy and moved. Oh, that's right, not marines. Coast. I thought you. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. the navy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I was in the Navy. How long were you in the Navy? Um, five years. Five years. In yeah. the sub, did you yeah, say? Yeah, as a submariner. Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. It's a fire control technician on a submarine. What was that like? A nuclear sub, I guess. They're all nuclear, aren't they? It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's being, you know, going out for like six-month deployments with like 184 dudes that, you know. Any strippers on board? No, 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 no females. No females at all? Yeah, the longest I was under was like 86 days and. You know, you kind of get to see an interesting part. In no whole. privacy. No, no. You're in no. bunks, right? Yeah, you you like hot rack. You know, you sh- you split these two hot racks between three guys. Oh, so you get into bed and it smells like the other dudes. Yeah, and you're stuck with kind of you know whoever that is that you get assigned to <laughs> rack with, and yeah, it has never really ended up well for me. So, <laughs> and so all throughout you're under you know when you're your first oh, you know man. E1, E2, E3, E4, you know. Before you start like making advancement, you're always stuck in hot racks, and so advancement you you go up in the ranks and you get a private rack. Yeah, once, or once you make E five or above, you usually get your own hot, your own rack. So it's like luxury status then. You know? Okay, so let me ask you this: It's a natural question to ask, but it's probably one you might not want to answer. Is there a lot of weed on those submarines? We no, you know, interestingly, because you're not smoking, I guess, right? <laughs> But, I mean, vapor, anything? Because you know, dudes are going to want to get high in oh, a summer. Yeah, well, well, the military has a zero-tolerance policy on cannabis and other, you know, Schedule One narcotics. And so, you know, quote-unquote Schedule One narcotics. <laughs> Such you know, bullshit. And so, but they'll you know, give you those fucking pills so you don't sleep for a week, right? Yeah, big time, big time. You know, and so, uh, you know, I mean, what are those called? Anything. Provisual. 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 I've never, I've, never, I've never seen they're taking that. I it have. Stuff, it, it seems really interesting. My like wife, CEO the psychiatrist, speak, right? scored me some back in the Spain, yeah, and I, I took it just to check it out because um, that's the stuff they give these pilots and you know all these oh, guys because wow. it's not an it's not a stimulant, it just blocks your. It's a weird thing. It doesn't jack you up. It's not like coffee or or you know you don't get jittery or anything. You just don't feel like sleeping, wow. and you feel very mentally focused. So I, I can understand why they're giving it to. You know, pilots that have these long flights and drop bombs and then fly two days to get but back it's for, home. For, it's only prescribed for, like, narcolepsy or something, right? It's a, Yeah, yeah. And, but, but, yeah, I've heard, heard on kind of, you know, uh, Rogan's podcast and stuff about ProVigil being used for CEOs, executives, kind of, you know, just running in the game, you know. <laughs> it's when Coke gets boring. Yeah, Coke Your gets septum boring. gets completely <laughs> wiped out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Move on to ProVigil. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we were talking about, oh, zero tolerance policy yeah, for, so, for weed. So, so the Navy has a zero tolerance policy. There's no, no cannabis use. Well, but, but it what's kind of interesting about that was, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, because now, you know, it's very different, you know, contrast from where I was and who I, where I came from and, you know, where I am now and who I am today. And it's really exciting. But, you know, um, when, you know, when you're in the Navy, it's a zero tolerance policy. And, 
And, um, you know, I'd smoked a little bit of, you know, cannabis whenever I was in high school back in Roswell, New Mexico, back in the day. Roswell, New Mexico. Roswell. That's where you grew up? Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. No yeah. shit. Kind so let's talk, if you don't mind, let's talk about that, where you came from and yeah. what you were like. You, you mentioned in passing you weighed 300 pounds in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did and you that. weigh, I guess, uh, 170 now? Oh, no, you know, I'm, about, I'm about 215. Are you, you know, really? About 215, yeah, yeah, Fuck, yeah. man, that's what I, I weigh. You, you seem way trimmer than I am. I, I, need, I need to go run. I, need, <laughs> I just wear baggy clothes. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've been down to, you know, as low as, like, 190, but... Um, but yeah, you know, I'm from, I'm from Roswell, New Mexico, and and you know, we it used to be 300 pounds. I I lost a lot of weight right before I joined the Navy. What are you five ten? No, I'm, I'm six foot. Six foot. Six okay. Foot. You can tell I'm really good at this stuff. Huh? I nailed <laughs> you. Five ten, one seventy. Alex, that's yeah, right, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> I mean, I'm, oh, my credibility as an eyewitness is like completely shot. You know? Can you describe the suspect? Yeah, sure. I saw him perfectly. Um, you are white, though, right? I am. I yes. got that part right. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Nail it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your sun burned as hell. Were you like surfing recently or something? I yeah. I was. I was just down in Southern California. We we have a lab down there, and I was I was at the beach for a day. And yeah, working hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just at the beach for a little bit. All right. So so how now. do you get? So you're in Roswell. You're at high school. Um, uh, were your parents aliens? <laughs> well, my mom, my mom was a nurse, and then my father was a social worker. Um, interestingly, my when my mom, you know, there was a very, very big age difference between my mother and my father. My, my when my mom was born, my my father was actually married with three children. Wow, it's kind of interesting, and and so you know that just kind of shows how old my father was when they had me. And so, um, you know, my father ended up passing away in two thousand one which is the same year that I ended up joining the Navy. So, you know, from about 16 to 18, I, you know, I, I got on one of these um, kind of ketogenic-based diets where you kind of starve your body of carbohydrates, you flip your energy source to ketones, and then, you know, you start burning fat for energy instead. Of, you know, and it works really well for losing weight if you're dedicated to it. Um, and so, how do you feel? Are, are you hungry all the time? No, you know, surprisingly, pretty like, good you know, energy. first getting used to it, it was weird. But, you know, once you, you actually flip and you're in that state of ketosis, you actually have incredible energy. Like it seems, um, you know, to be honest, and 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 to this day, you know, I've. I was, you're, you're turning your I'm head sorry. away from the mic. Nice, it's an amateur mistake. Sorry. <laughs> gotta pretend you're Barry Manilow. Keep the mic right in front of your mouth at all times. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, to this day, I, I I am on somewhat of a similar type diet, yeah. and and you know, I notice you know I have better energy, you know, than I've ever had if I don't have like wheat or carbohydrates of a whole lot in my body and so anyway so i lost all the weight um and then whenever i turned 18 in august of 2001 i joined the navy and so you know i joined the navy because my family didn't have any money to send me school and i didn't want to get you know a whole lot of student loan debt and so i joined the military get the fuck out of roswell yeah yeah well so why did you weigh 300 pounds i mean you know i'm one of the typical kids that was you know i mean you know, when I, I grew up in a trailer in Roswell and, you know, I mean, my father who was, you know, he, he, whenever I was 18, he was 72. So, you know, he was very, he was older, you know, he was retired, you know, for a lot of my teen years and stuff. It's, you know, he would, you know, my mom was kind of the, the full-time worker. She was always the one really pushing for nutrition and, you know, the health foodist and, and, you know, I thank her so much for it because she was always pushing it. But, you know, then my dad would take us to McDonald's and mm. Mao and, I'd, I'd drink 64-ounce portions of Mountain Dew and 
Pepsi and whatever right. and multiple times a day sometimes, right. you know, and so, you know, I was, the, you know, the zombie, you know, or going, going in the direction. Right, right. Hey, no, no shame about trailers, man. I was born in a trailer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was born in the hospital, but my parents lived in a trailer park when I was born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, I might be heading back that way. I, every time I walk by a camper van or something, I, I just, like, feel like, damn, what I just... Is- Fuck this, man. Just, uh, you know, load my little bit of crap into a camper van and oh. off we go. Yeah. There's something good about that. There is. There's a lot good about it. I I mean, you might know I, I spent a long time backpacking and I just love that feeling. Like everything I need, I've got right here. Yeah, you know? I admire that about you a lot. You know, you, as, you know, I, I studied cultural anthropology in school. And, uh. and yeah, I mean, just to actually embark and go journey and. Yeah, actually go travel and start to yeah. What's great? I mean, well, you know, I mean, you've been around on the na- you know those those ships came in somewhere, right? Um, well, or did well, they keep them sub- all secret? You know, we had a nuclear reactor on the sub, so we were limited to the ports that we were able to go. In. Oh, right, they don't you know, want but, you coming. You know, in. went to Japan and Singapore and Guam, right? Stationed at Pearl Harbor, so that was kind of cool. So, what's it like? I mean. Do you ever get does the does the ship ever come up to the surface and you guys can go out on the surface and hang um, you know, out? Actually, like um, the the farewell, my farewell out of the navy. You know, we had uh, basically taken the boat from Hawaii to um, go underneath. We picked up scientists, went underneath the North Pole whenever there was under the not North yet, Pole when there was oh, not yet um, you know a transit lane through. Um, and and we were basically measuring uh, keels and uh, you know the, of the ice caps and so how how much how deep is the ocean under the north pole substantial yeah, yeah. so okay so you're not like sandwiched between no. ice you, you got plenty of space yeah yeah you got plenty of space and and, wow. and so you know we went underneath and we kind of were just doing all these soundings you know to measure the ice caps and you know we're just kind of collecting a lot of data then we did figure eights and we did a emergency blow and popped through this through the through the ice, about seven feet of ice, and no you know, we got to go kind of run around on the North Pole for a second with Arctic weather gear on, and the captain brought like a beer, you know, beers. That <laughs> you never do that, and he brought beers, and so know, he has smoke a cigarette and drink a beer on top of the world. That oh, was really? Cool, you know. But then, and then <laughs> fuck trans- you, Russia. Yeah, and then we transited back to Virginia, and Virginia we pulled the boat out of water, out of the water, and it went to dry dock, and that that was on the USS Charlotte. Wow, which is a yeah sub out of out of Hawaii. I think huh. it's back there now, but. Wow. Okay, so uh, where are we? We're in Roswell, New Mexico. You get your shit together, decide you're going to lose a bunch of weight before you join the Navy. Yes. What What triggered that? What What made you say, hey, fuck this? I um, mean, you were what, 16, 17? Well, you know, in, it, it, it's funny because actually in, in, in Roswell, New Mexico, there's the Roswell Mall. And there wasn't, you know, whenever I was living there, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, fashionable, cool places to go to right. you know, shop. And, like, there wasn't vans and there wasn't. You know, different surf stores and Pack Sun and all this stuff. And I remember there was this one store called Miller's Outpost, and they had this this type of clothing called Anchor Blue. <laughs> uh. And um, you know, my, it was it was a combination of my mom, very subtly and a, a very I appreciate her subtleness and how she, you know, was was delicate about calling me fat and trying to get me to change. Mm. But it was a combination of that and me getting to a forty two inch waist size that. All of a sudden, I was going to have to go to the next size, and I remember at Miller's Outpost, 42 was the largest size they had, so I was going to have to start shopping at, like, Walmart, or, like, Big and Tall, you know, for, like, sweatpants and dickies. Right. And so I remember kind of 
that was a big moment right that triggered you know me and you know to ask you know to look to my mom and my mom to help me kind of you know seek the you know type of need you know help i i could need to get on such a diet to you know end up losing 100 pounds that's fantastic man and you're right i mean your mom being subtle about it and how that that's what really resonates with you now it's so true that sometimes you know a quiet voice carries the most weight i i I can remember five or five or ten you know off the top of my head cases in my life moments in my life where someone said something that at the time i didn't really get it and then years later i would look back and say wow you know, they were sending, they were telling, they were pointing something out to me and they were being gentle about it. And 20 years later, Very I still mindful, fucking remember cool that. Way, yeah. 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 And just like in a, even in a deflected sort I don't I remember one case I, I always wrote, et cetera, ECT period. Mm-hmm. And I remember my, my buddy, Mike, writing to me somewhere and he said something like, isn't it funny how etc is like etc and it it comes from you know the latin eta etc and like how we still use that all the you know even though nobody speaks latin and and he sort of explained to me why it's etc and not ect right i appreciate that yeah but he never said hey asshole hey dumbass you know you do it wrong and and that's that's beautiful that's a beautiful thing because you know because ignorance is not is not you know ignorance is a state of being uninformed, right? You know, it's it's not a bad state of being uninformed. It's just a state of being uninformed, and so yeah. you know, depending on how you can go about you know, stating that ignorance or or, or educating somebody, because education is the only way to overcome anything, whether it's oppression right. or ignorance or you know, kind of right. You know, and once you start insulting someone, they're not listening. Close down. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, create these like barriers. Yeah. yeah exactly. But. Wow. All right. So cool. Yeah. Good. Good. Good on your mom there. Yeah, so 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 you know during during the navy and then um you know, got it, got out of the navy, and my and my point kind of you know bringing that up was you know the zero tolerance policy in the military you know and they they really kind of you know if you get popped for you know any type of thing in your analysis you know dishonorable or other than honorable discharge very serious business yeah. you know and so you you know scared straight, and so didn't smoke at all but you know on a submarine. You could be at the very after the boat, like people standing on either side of this huge. So people standing on either <laughs> side of this Manilow, huge, buddy. Uh, this huge <laughs> screw blade uh-huh. you know, that's just turning. Yeah, and they're just smoking like a chimney, and everybody's just smoking cigarettes, like just puffing. Oh, uh, so tobacco's like, fine all day long. Yeah, you know, black coffee and tobacco. Do you get nauseated on a submarine, or is it just so big that it's smooth? Um, I mean, you develop sea legs. You know, right. At first, when you go underway. You know, depending on the sea state, you know, you'll you'll make a surface transit for a certain amount of time out to sea, you know, depending on the depth of the the, the bottom, mm. you know, before you can actually dive. And so whenever you're, you know, once you dive and go deep, you you essentially can't even, it doesn't even really feel like you're moving. Right. Unless you're going high speeds. Right. And, and there are no um, windows or anything. You can't like look out and yeah, see I mean, shit. You know, Periscope. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, so so once, you know, once you're underway, you know, I mean, so, so you know, you take your surface transit out. If there's high sea state, you the, you know, it's a it's a tube. So it just rolls. Right. And so, you know, people will just be losing their you shit. You have stabilizers and all. I'm sure. Not really. No, really? No, not at all. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, no, not at all. Wow. But, 
Because I mean, I I was just on this big ass yacht recently, and he's got stabilizers. <laughs> That's boss. <laughs> it was really nice. We did uh, from um, uh, Cabo San Lucas to Puerto Vallarta across the open ocean. Wow. Now it was two days or something, you know, but it was fine. There was no big weather or anything. But they just arrived now in Tahiti. They just did 12 days from Puerto Vallarta to Tahiti. Bora Bora and out there. That's incredible. Yeah. Did you have a good time? I didn't go to Tahiti. Oh. He, he invited us to, to fly out, but I, I can't. I got to, you know, I got to stop whining about writing this book and actually write the book. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, you're, you're it, it, though. It's crazy. You I get a lot going on. So Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's such an enviable position in a way to, you know, be getting emails every day from people saying, dude, write the book. I can't wait to read it. Like, that's fucking yeah, beautiful. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. beautiful. And, and, yeah, and it's beautiful. You've created such a medium where in, you, you, you can help get information into the world and, and you have people that are, like, very big fans that would actually write something like that and you're yeah. down to pay and they're, like, anticipating the release. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope they still, they still feel that way when it's done because that's, you know, hopefully... I'll be... <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's you know that's the thing. If if you can get a lot of people to buy the book the week it comes out, then it goes on the bestseller list. Mm. And once it does that, then it's got momentum because people notice it and oh, what's what's this? You know, well, and it gets so reviewed. Rad, it seems like you you know you've plugged into the means. To it feels be able like to it. Figure that out with yeah. you know this new way of getting information into the world. And yeah, that's what's cool is you know just yeah. jumping on your network of podcasts, you have the ability to pretty much do that. Yeah, yeah. As long as I don't fuck it up between now and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll piss Rogan off or something. I'll be well, that's what's so cool. Is you all seem to click very well and have very good like different angles on things too. yeah yeah no yeah. it's it's great it's uh, getting to know those guys duncan and and joe and danielle yeah they're great and yeah. but it's funny because in la it's like you know they're just they just hang out they're just friends right mm. so when you're in la and you're in that scene and you're hanging out with them it's you know it's it's just like you know here in portland i meet some people and they've got friends and they hang out and they hang out with them and their friends and it's just like okay it's a little nucleus of cool yeah. people hang out yeah. it's just that in la they happen to do podcasts and it resonates out into the world in a strange way but yeah. you know when you're there on the local level it's no different than anything else wow. you know so no, that's right i could i could kind of imagine it's pretty much like this it is it's exactly Super like this laid back kick it yeah 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 except, except you know with rogan there's always a a joint that goes around the table before which is rad yeah i i didn't know where you're at but i brought, brought a bunch of <laughs> well we probably shouldn't smoke here yeah, at no. the lompoc brewery um but uh <laughs> i told them i'd mention where we are a couple times you know which Excellent. is courteous i guess um okay so where were we so, i keep yeah, getting sidetracked yeah, end up, end up, oh yeah, how getting, you got into the weed right so, so you get so, out so, of the navy so the navy zero tolerance policy you know um although you could smoke all this other stuff ended up you know five years uh after the north pole kind of went to virginia got pulled into dry dock got out of the navy virginia it was there i met my now ex-girlfriend but um me and this girl named taylor blake um we started dating on the east coast and you know her I, her dad was this pockerer in California, and you know, had been, you know, I didn't really know much, but you know, her and I were just, you know, we, we were both bartending, you know, when I got out of the Navy, um, you know, saving up money to move the, you know, to the to the West Coast. And what's really interesting is, you know, actually, the day I got out of the Navy, um, my my friend shared a bowl with me, 
And so it was my first bowl in five years. And so you can imagine I had a, com a completely reset virgin endocannabinoid receptor system. And so I, similar to very many people, had, you know, taken the bowl and taken a hit. You know, I didn't take too many. I, I, you know, I might have taken a big one to where I coughed, you know, which is, you know, big hit. But, you know, I didn't smoke too much, but I'd smoked enough to overstimulate this, re, you know, the CB1 receptor, which is the receptor that THC binds to in your brain uh -huh. to make you feel high. And so I had overstimulated it to the point where I had one of these, if you'd ever, if you've ever heard the, you know, the kind of freak out kind of cannabis like stories, you know, where like paranoia, incredible. Well, you know, it's like certain amounts of people for some reason, you know, whenever you overstimulate this receptor too much for your liking at the time or your readiness for that much THC, you have this, you, you experience this incredibly negative physiological response that, you know, completely like, um, you know, it almost like closes you down and, you know, you have to, you know, I had to have my friend drive me home in my own car. I'd interrupt them from eating lunch because I couldn't be sitting there and I had to have him drive me home or it was actually, it was actually my, my ex-girlfriend Taylor. I had to have her drive me home and then I had to kind of go s hide under the bed, sleep it off. And it was really interesting because every time I smoked for about the first 20 times, it was the same exact thing. So why did you keep doing it? Well, because I, I back in the day, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck kind of idiot <laughs> no, were it's you, a man? Very stubborn, hard-headed way to kind of like break through this. You know, it's interesting though because uh -huh. I, I think I, I feel as though it's almost a bit of a rite of passage. Uh -huh. You know, and I mean, hmm. I'll, I'll kind of clarify on that, but, um, but essentially, I remember that there was this space in cannabis, this thing about cannabis that I had that really resonated well with me from the few times that I'd smoked whenever I was in high school. Mm. Um, and, and so for some reason, I, was, I kept kind of trying. Um, but I had gone through that mindset where I was like, you know, maybe it's not for me anymore. Right, because you know, in high school, Americans, you didn't have that reaction, no, not, right? Not at, all, not yeah. at all. But, you know, after taking this really long break, all of a sudden I had that. Yeah. And, and so, so now kind of, you know, my whole path, you know, to where I'm at now, understanding scientifically and, and you know, what's happening in your mind and what's, you know, you know, why that happens, you know, you know, it's not that, oh, it's not for me because, uh, you know, millions of Americans, anybody that's ever said, oh, it's not for me, all say it for the same exact reason. They say it because they overstimulated their CB1 receptor with Delta 9, THC, too much for what they were ready for because that receptor is barely touched uh -huh. and they had this freak out type session. And what happens is your brain, your amygdala takes a snapshot of that awful physiological experience and it just holds onto it. Right. And every time you smoke after that, you reference and it pulls back that same experience. Right. And so even now, you, smoke you don't think bits. there's a psychological aspect to this as well? That, I mean, people who <laughs> say it's not for me, I, I find a lot of people, their response to drugs, as if drugs sure. were one thing, right? Which is a real pet peeve of mine. But a lot of times people say, you know, oh no, I don't, I don't do drugs, I because you know, I I don't like losing control. Sure, no, no, no you're one hundred percent because because I I would say the oh, it's not for me is yeah. either the people that have have ignorantly never tried it, you know, and have and take up upon a position like that, right. or they say it's not for me because they tried it and they freak the fuck out, you know. But the, I mean, uh, the, okay, I'm imagining you, you're out of the navy, you're tending bar, you don't know what you're doing next, you might be feeling really vulnerable, fearful, uncertain. Mm. Life is, you know, you know, Leary's whole set and setting thing, totally. right? Totally. And you get high and all that fear comes to the surface. 
Now, I know in my own experience, when I get high, uh, negative stuff comes to the surface, mm-hmm. whether it's like uh, physical stuff, like... You know, I can just be a lazy fuck and not even notice it. And then I get high and it's like, oh, my back's tight. My legs are, you know, the muscles in my legs are tight. You know, my energy level's low. Like, I tune in to to things that are real that I can just ignore the rest of the time, you know. Um, And also, I mean, psychologically, like, oh, you know, know, someone who's... I, I remember someone who's suffering or, you know, whatever... No, it's that's just a phase. I, I move beyond that phase, you know. Um, but there's something about not only marijuana but hallucinogens as well that mm-hmm. that removes that filter, yeah, uh, you know. Um, so anyway, maybe that maybe we're talking about the same thing yeah, in no, two I different think, ways, are, right? And it, you know, and for what it's worth, though, it's like you know, having gone through that, I have a lot of empathy for those that you know have this freak out, bad physiological right. response, and like almost want to give cannabis a shot but can't you know they're blocked out of they it want to do that again because of that you know and, and even and, and when yeah. they try they, they're at the same place even they try tiny bits you know and so i have a lot of empathy for where that's at but so I that's not dose like, dependent that that thing well well i mean if you over accidentally so you know if if you could if you consider like a standard dose like ingesting cannabis like 10 to 20 milligrams of delta 90 hc you know if you had this you know comp- if you were an elder cannabis patient that didn't want to smoke and and it's your first time trying it because you just got diagnosed with some type of cancer and you're wanting to give it a shot if you instead of taking 10 to 20 milligrams because you've never taken it before if you accidentally took 100 you would experience that awful physiological response that will pretty much change your whole experience with cannabis right you know until you know and 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 it'll it's weird because it flips right you know, i know so many cases where people it'll flip you know, or so, so i mean so if you it happens some to some people that are steady cannabis users every day and one day they just like way over dabbed or something and then it flips and then it's different from then on really and it's awful you know the same but it's the same thing so it's common to people huh. that either one day flip to to either you know coming back after not smoking for a long time right. or to, uh, like people that just start smoking after right. you know never done it, doing it before right. but it's this very weird response and then it changes your experience with it yeah. and so then even if you take the tiniest doses it's the same thing and so so the interesting thing is you can reframe that you know by using CBD and we'll we'll get into that later but but anyway um interestingly there's this whole crazy experience that happens um, whenever whenever people overdo their amount the amount of THC that their receptor is ready for, mm. and then it creates this thing. But but I think it's important to also put yourself through feeling weird, and like going <laughs> through those weird feelings, yeah. and like you know I think it's kind of important to do you know. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a form of adventure. Yeah, it's a form of travel. Yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. you know, inner inner travel or whatever we want to call it's not it for the but, faint of mind. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. But but I but got it, through it. And what then, doesn't kill you makes yeah. you stronger. You yeah. know, it, and in this case, it does. Although Louis C.K. has this great <laughs> bit about you know, what about the stuff that mangles me and <laughs> leaves me completely <laughs> fucked up? <laughs> there is that. <laughs> But uh, I mean, with with the, the cannabis, in mm-hmm. my personal experience, there's a big difference between smoking and eating, you know, and the way it affects definitely. my body. And sure. I've never, I mean, I I have definitely smoked so much weed that I've been like a quivering pile of giggling idiocy, you know, like. Have you ever gotten the shakes? 
the stone chills. Yeah. When he's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is. I give us. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I've been so high. I didn't know I was freezing cold, you know, and then I look at my hands and it's like, wow, your hands are blue and you're shaking. Oh, that's because it's 40 degrees and you've been sitting in the snow. I've, I've done that. I went to college. Uh, but uh, but with eating, eat, you know, I, mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like if I smoke, I guess I get to a point where I'm either so stoned that I just fall asleep or or I just I, I stop smoking, you know, because I'm too stoned. But yeah. but with eating, I've overdosed with eating a couple of times. And that's been as bad as drinking too much, yeah. you know, spins yeah. and dry heaves and like really hellish hellish and of course i was educated enough that i could keep telling myself nothing physiologically dangerous is going to happen you're not going to have liver failure you're not going to die from this but you know for the next four or five hours you're going to feel like shit because you had that second brownie like a a way too much acid you know but but you know what you kind of just described is exactly i mean you you bioassayed yourself to understanding exactly what happens right you know and that's like um because when you smoke or vaporize you know or um pretty much sorry so if you smoke or vaporize it's called self-titration right Mm. so you take as few or as many puffs as you need to get the desired effect right Right, and they're pretty immediate because lung yes, to brain exactly. is much faster yeah, than stomach to brain. It takes, it takes about five to fifteen minutes to come on. It, it peaks at about two hours. It ends about four hours. Right, very different from ingesting. When you ingest delta nine THC specifically, you know it goes through the first pass metabolism, which is where right. you know it's converted into this you know compound called eleven hydroxy THC, which is five times up to five times as psychoactive as Delta nine THC. Is. Oh, really? So when, once it passes through your liver, it, it's metabolized into a, into a, uh, a, a psychoactive metabolite. That's into five a times stronger five. metabolite. Yeah, 100%, that's interesting. Which is specifically why you get so blast off edibles, and which is why they last so long. So you know the danger of edibles is you know they often don't come on for <clears throat> right. up to two hours, <laughs> and you and eat so, a second. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Classic. So, so, so taking mistake. that old lady, that old cancer patient, that just blasts yeah. herself to never eating THC again or ever, you know. Because so many people try get try cannabis but never do it again. Yeah, and that's because they didn't know what the fuck they're doing. Right, and that's why education is so important. Right, because it's like if you take a if you t- if you have a hundred milligram edible, and you eat half of it, you know, and then you're like you know just this new patient, what's it gonna feel like? You know, what's it gonna feel like? And so you know after an hour, all of a sudden you don't feel the effects. So what do you do? You eat the other half. Yeah. And now the first fifty milligrams which you didn't even realize is a super strong dose is going to be coming on, you know, starting at two hours, peaking at about four hours. And then you're going to continue peak for about six hours, you know, at about hour six. And then, and then you end at eight to 10, you know, especially if you ate, you know, more. So an eight, an edible high or an ingesting Delta nine THC high is about eight hours, you know, takes about two hours. Come on, peaks at about four ends about eight, you know? And so that's very, very different from smoking it. And so, you know, what you'll see in these states like Colorado, because Colorado, you know, first recreational state in the nation, they just had, they just experienced their first cannabis-related death. You know? Really? It was this this kid, I mean, un, you know, and, I mean, and you, you know, it's a stretch to call it a cannabis-related death, mm-hmm. but they're calling it one. And what happened was this um, exchange student <coughs> from Africa, um, he was in a hotel room with his friends. He had uh, ingested an unknown dose of an edible, no. Which is the story all the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, virtually all emergency room visits regarding cannabis all happen specifically because of ingesting cannabis, right? And it's never because you're in harm's way, but you might feel like you're dying, right? You know? 
well, you know, because it's like if you just puddle yourself with acid, you know, it's like in your GHB. Right, you know? yeah. yeah, a lot of people go end up in the emergency room for GHB. It's the worst place to be. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst know? place to be, and you don't need to be there. And it's just yeah. like, and it was a dumb move to take you there, and you know. And so, but anyway, um, this kid, he he'd taken unknown dose of edible. He started to get really high, and and the you know from the news stories, you know, he was kind of just erratic and you know smashing you know pictures off the wall and stuff and. You know, he he ended up getting on the roof and falling off the roof, and you know, oh. and so so he fell to his death. And they were saying because of this dose thing and this response to yeah. cannabis, they're calling it cannabis related death. But of it speaks that, to the safety issue yeah. that is testing milligram content in infused edibles, right? You know, so that people can measure dosage and all that well, reliably. Because, because yeah. it's not smoking; it's not vaporizing. Yeah. you can self titrate with right. that, with those methods. Right. Then, like you said, you can keep puffing you know it's like because you're you're self-touching so you just go as much as you want for that time and you can keep going all day but there comes a point where you're, you're not going to do much else yeah. you know and you'll just go to sleep or something you ever listen to bill hicks thing about uh just uh you know these guys who who take acid and they jump out the window because they think they can fly <laughs> just you dumbass yeah. if you think you can fly Start out on the road. <laughs> Run down the road. Flap your fucking wings, right? That way, if it doesn't work, you'll be fine. Some pavement, like face burn. <laughs> exactly. You won't, do it you, some... you won't jump off. A, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. It's fine. You think you can fly? Test it out rationally. You don't jump out the fucking window. All right, we're gonna take a break. I'm gonna get another beer, uh, and uh, we'll be back before you know it. All right, this is me back in real time, at least real time for me. It's all in the past for you. Um, but since we took a break there to to get a piss and get another beer, I thought I'd break up the ads a little bit. This uh, episode's also brought to you by MyPackage.com. That's package, P-A-K-A-G-E. Bring you the best and most comfortable underwear experience for men. Again, great Father's Day gift. Try their patented comfort technology combined with their special moisture-absorbent and breathable wrinkle-free material. Although, really, who cares if your underwear is wrinkled, right? Anyway, my package was generous enough to send me a box, uh, a couple of boxes, actually, to try out. And these things are great. They're made of really high-quality material. Everything I hate about underwear, these guys have figured out. It's a relaxed, secure fit. If you like sure design T-shirts, this stuff is just as soft and comfortable. And uh, also, listen, they'll throw in an extra pair for the first 10 people to place an order using our code, which is SEX, S-E-X, at checkout, and you'll get a free a pair of this amazing underwear. They've got weekday, weekends, all sorts of different styles. So if you're tired of adjusting and shifting your junk, or if you're tired of someone in your life who can't leave it alone, uh, or if you just want to buy your dad or your husband or your boyfriend or your son or your grandson or your grandfather, something they'll really appreciate for Father's Day, check out my package, dot com. Enter sex at checkout for a chance to get an extra pair for yourself uh, or for someone you love. And uh, that's it. Just remember, sex at checkout. Also, as always, short design t-shirts. You can get the sex at dawn, the civilized to death, the, the paleo modern, all the different styles we've got at chrisryanphd.com. Go to the store. You'll see all the T-shirts there. And uh, if you want something else, go to um, Shore Design 
t-shirts.com. They've got lots of designs there. They've got some really cool new ones, which fit in really well with this podcast, actually, because they're all these um, different marijuana strains, you know, like Maui Wowie and, you know, Acapulco Gold and all these, but more modern. I'm dating myself there. Those are the old classics. Um, but they've got a bunch of really cool designs, uh, like sort of built around these, these different marijuana strains. So check them out. Shoredesigntshirts.com. They're the best. And, uh, I think it's sexadon, sexadon, one, one word all together. That'll get you a discount on your entire order with them. I, I'm a terrible host cause I forget what it is right now, but I think it's 15 or 20% or whatever. Um, but it's a significant chunk. So check them out. Shirtdesigntshirts.com. Tell Bennett, Chris sent you. All right. Let's get back to this. Um, by the way, Alec kept uh, sort of like dropping his microphone. We were doing handheld at this thing. So when you hear him getting a little distant, I'm sorry. I kept like gesturing to him like, get the mic back, get the mic back. So what I did was after the break, I gave him the headset. So it'll be you'll hear him much more clearly from now on because he could hear himself when he started to drift off. <laughs> All right. So, uh, back to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye. So when I go into, uh, a shop in, in California and it says, you know, THC content, 17%, CBD is 14%. Is that accurate? How do we know they're not just full of shit? Yeah. You know, the, the biggest issue is California is, although it's the, largest and most complex marketplace and sophisticated, you know, marketplace there is for cannabis in the world, you know, because of its long history and creation of these collectives and work within the confines of Proposition 215 and SB 420 to create what is currently here. You know, because of that, it's, there, it's a very complex marketplace, but it's completely behind the times as far as a lot of these other emerging states now are as far as regulation goes. And so what you'll see in states like Washington, Colorado, Oregon, Massachusetts, Nevada, they're implementing, just like all future states will, mandated testing into the model. So, you know, when it comes down to it, just like any other product, you know, herbal cannabis as an herbal supplement or an herbal product you know, similar to any other product you get in the store, you know, active milligram content. And so in California, testing has never been a part of the regulated body of, of the structure. Really? And yeah. not at all, not at all. And so, so you know, it, it was a you know, handful of labs. You know, there's a bunch of labs now, but a bunch of labs kind of creating market share out of, you know, using, you know, educational materials and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we, we end up partnering with this, um, you know, one of the largest third-party marketing websites in, in the industry called Weed Maps and WeedMaps.com. Um, you know, they're an incredible company that, you know, essentially brings, you know, you can see about 80 to 90% of patient foot traffic into certain, you know, areas of the, the country. You know, in, in L.A., you know, there's such dense uh, clusters of collectives. How um, does an average patient find which one to use, you know? And so there's this third-party, you know, kind of this, it's a app, you know, mobile uh, website and app that you have on your phone that shows where you're at, shows all the, all the dispensaries are at in your area. And, um, you know, from there, you know, Yelp-like reviews and, you know, all these different features to, you know, differentiate and show show the menus of these collectives. And, you know, early on, we end up partnering with this company, Weed Maps, you know, at SC Laboratories and, 
And whenever we partnered up, we ended up um, um, basically having, we created this uh, API between our website and their website to basically feed data. So as, as we publish data, analytical data, to our website or clients that we work with, if they have these, uh, you know, Weed Maps marketing icons, you know, it'll pair to them as well. And so it, it was um, early on in California, um, there was this intrinsic marketing value created around test results. So it got people to start testing. But, you know, about only 5% of the entire population of growers, dispensaries, infused product makers in the state of California actually do any level of testing. And so, unfortunately... There's, you know, unless it's a it's a reputable brand in California that you're, you know, choosing an infused product to purchase, uh-huh. you don't really know quite what the milligram content is. Because are they talking about five grams of dried cannabis or are they talking about 50 milligrams of Delta 9 THC? Mm. And if it is, is, is it been tested by a laboratory right. or is that some superfluous claim? Right, right, yeah. Well, any emerging market, you've got this sort of these sorts of issues, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, I, I don't want to lose the thread earlier. I want to mm. continue oh, okay, the, the biographical yeah, thread, like how you get, got into all this. Yeah. But before I forget, I wanted to ask you, um, I've got a buddy, a voodoo, actually, who I, I interviewed on this podcast a year or so back. Um, he's uh, he's become a very enthusiastic uh, believer in um, the the science that indicates that uh, cannabis is a, a very strong anti-cancer, anti-tumor. Big time. Yeah. There, you know, the Canadian researcher, I don't remember his name, um, who basically got completely discredited. He's an MD, mm. clinical researcher. And he, he made these claims and he got drummed out of the profession. And uh, I think he lost his medical license. And I don't remember his name. I should. Sure. Um, but anyway, it, it seems that he's being vindicated on some level. I, I mean, I, I'm no expert on this, but I wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, 100. percent Your question about uh, ca- cannabinoids and their anti-cancer. Anti-tumor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, the you know, in the scientific literature, you know, the, the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids and their therapeutic potential to treat everything, including all you know, so many different types of cancer. Because it's not cancer, you know, it's cancers, right? Right, and, and and so, you know, so many different types of cancer that you know cannabis is showing incredible effectiveness in treating. You know, there's a, a really incredible documentary. If um, you know you or your viewers or listeners ever <laughs> ever um, get the opportunity, you can find it on YouTube. It's called "What If Cannabis Cured Cancer," uh. and um, you know, there's four or five PhD, you know, medical doctors, you know, um, PhDs and medical doctors that basically spend substantial amount of time kind of covering some of the literature, you know, and, and a lot of the time spent on CBD cannabidiol and its anti-cancer properties, including um, anti-proliferation, so slowing the cell growth in tumors, uh, apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, which is essentially push, you know, you know, cancer cells getting pushed to the edge to commit suicide. Right, because the problem with cancer is that cells that would normally die aren't dying. Yep. They become the undead, the, the walking zombies of your of your body. Um, he, what Voodoo talks a lot about is this oil. Uh, Rick Simpson oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so right. you know, there's a lot of misinformation and belief around Rick Simpson oil and what it is. And, you know, for what it's worth, Rick Simpson oil is, you know, purely, it's, it's fully decarboxylated Delta-9 THC hash oil, period, boom. So, so I mean, 
basically it doesn't matter if it's from indica or from a sativa you know the process you know basically what what rick just to give you a little background so rick simpson was rick simpson's this dude in canada he uh you know he, there's a documentary called run from the cure very very great dude is that who i was talking about rick maybe simpson? i don't know if he was a doctor oh. but but you're you know i think you know what you describe is pretty much that right i think yeah. it might be yeah, yeah i think that might be who i was talking about but but for sure what he yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure you're exactly that yeah so so rick simpson did a lot of good at the beginning and kind of then didn't really take a lot of the science and what was actually why things were happening and, and kind of just ran with it and kind of created a little bit of a cult personality around, around uh, this oil. But what, it, what basically it is is, you know, if you take an indica plant or a sativa plant and you use, you know, you take the raw herbal cannabis, whether that's the leaves or the sugar leaves with trichromes all over them or the flowers covered in trichromes, and you take that material... And then you do an extraction on that material with a solvent like naphtha. Rick Simpson early on used naphtha. Naphtha has actually since become very acknowledged as a very you know, toxic solvent to use to create medicine. Naphtha? Naphtha. What is that? Uh, naphtha is um, napoline. Naphtha, naphtha, it's like, um, it's, for what it's worth, it's one, it is one of the extraction solvents usually ma- used in making DMT. It's like why DMT smells like mothballs. Oh, never. I've naphtha. never smelled DMT. Yeah. And so, so you know. chagrin. You know, DMT shouldn't really smell like that. Uh. You know, this this like really distinct smell because that's naphtha. But but anyway, Rick Simpson oil early on was made with naphtha, uh-huh. so it's this extraction solvent that's got a very high boiling point that you have to use a lot of heat to pull that out. And incidentally, uh. because applying this heat for long periods of time to get that extraction solvent out to create this oil, it goes you know THCA, what's in the raw plant, goes from a chemical conversion where it basically loses a co2 molecule and decarboxylates and so thca which is what's in the raw plant decarboxylates and converts to delta 9 thc which is at that point when it becomes psychoactive that usually happens from heating like taking a bowl a bud putting in a bowl lighting the flame that intense heat immediately decarboxylates thca it turns into thc but you can put you know using an extraction solvent and heating and purging that extraction solvent out you can put THCA through a process where you convert it and activate it into delta 9 THC. And so what Rick Simpson oil is, is it's just a raw crude hash oil extract. And if you test it through an HPLC, it will test 90% of the time about 50% total delta 9 THC, which is about 500 milligrams per gram of delta 9 THC. Now, the reason why Rick Simpson oil is amazing is because all sorts of different patients coming out of the woodworks hearing about this like r- this cure you know they'll basically access this oil and they'll get to the point where they can take up to like 3 or 4 grams of this oil a day yeah now now imagine if one of these grams is 500 milligrams of delta 9 THC right remember what we were talking about earlier with like tolerance like you know you know if if you don't like edibles if you took like 10 milligrams, you might, you know, get a somewhat of a good dose. But if you take more than that, you're, you know, cause you're not ready, you're going to get a bad effect. Voodoo and did imagine, that to me. And imagine taking 500. Yeah. Well, we were, last time I was in Spain, Voodoo and I went out to play pool or shooting pool. And he says, and he was, you know, yapping about these, these capsules that he makes. He takes mm-hmm. the oil and puts in the capsule. And he's like, yeah, you, I've got one. You want one? And he gives me one. <sighs> 
I was stoned for two days after that. Yeah, and it's like not cool either. No. It's like it's like it's like hung I went over. home. I was like spinning on the sofa. Yeah. I fell and like broke the bar. I, you know, yeah. and Casilda thought I was drunk. I wasn't <laughs> drunk. I mean, I had like two beers. Edible drunk though, and, and well, yeah. it goes to show. Well, and because that's that's the reality. It's like Delta nine THC is very psychoactive, and it's like if if you take psychedelic doses of it, like hundreds of milligrams and you're not ready for it because you haven't built up tolerance <laughs> then you know you might actually get psychedelic on it you know like shame on me though a dude named voodoo hands you a pill awesome. don't take it that's my <laughs> advice especially if it's the same guy it, it well you know because it's the the more the responsible thing for him to have done i mean he he, he was helping you he was hey, getting if you he were responsible it. you yeah. wouldn't be moving. yeah <laughs> exactly he told me that I, I i talked to him a couple of days later i was like dude you know you, you nearly killed me and he was like oh yeah i got home and i realized that you know i had the ones with the dot on them and the ones without the dot and i gave oh, you shoot. one with the dot and the ones without the dot is like you know a tenth as strong and i'm oh, sorry so man i thought it was without i didn't see the dot and i go oh, yeah so he like accidentally puddled you. Yeah, not the, for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's a good thing, but you know, sometimes it's not. You know? Voodoo convinced me to to go like and lift weights with him once, and Voodoo's like three hundred pounds, this grizzly bear of a man. And uh, I decided I was it was you know one of those stupid moments in my life when I decided I was going to get into shape, and I went to the gym with Voodoo and we worked out and. Yeah, he was bench pressing, you know, 500 pounds or something. And, you know, he'd take, you know, everything, like leave me with 150 or I don't remember what it was. But what I do remember is that for about a week after that, I couldn't wash my hair because I couldn't get my hands above my shoulders. Thanks, Voodoo. (laughs) 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 It nearly killed me. Anyway, um, so... So what are we talking about? Okay, so so the Rick Simpson oil. Yes, uh, yes. you so, you believe in its curative properties. So there, there's very, something very interesting behind, you know, because all right. So let me back up a little bit. So I'm I'm here in Portland uh, attending a conference um, this weekend. Um, I thought starts, you flew up just to talk with me, man. Well, no, I flew out. A, I flew hell? out a day early. I was incredibly <laughs> excited. So stoked to come on. I, I'm, I'm very grateful. But um, yeah, so you're here. It's a scientific yeah. conference. Yeah, it's called Patients Out of Time, and uh-huh. it's uh, it's it's basically a cannabis therapeutics conference. It's essentially the world's leading experts in all aspects about cannabis, whether it's a certain receptor. A certain endocannabinoid, you know, you know, there's certain chem- endogenous, uh, naturally produced cannabinoids by our body that are in female breast milk, you know, that are responsible right. for, you know, early childhood right. d- development and immune system. Well, isn't it true so, that I mean, it's, everything, it's everything that's psychoactive is psychoactive because it exists already in the body? Yeah, that's 100%. why there's a receptor exactly. for it, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All most, you know, masculines yeah. like in. You know, phenethylamines are analog, you know, or uh, receptors to, or I mean, they they bind to like adrenaline receptors, and, right? You know, yeah, all the neurotransmitters, and, and yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, and, exactly. And, and 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 you know, because essentially, it's like, I mean, everybody, cannabis is for everybody because we, you know, n- we all have these endocannabinoids, this endocannabinoid system, right? Which is, you know, th- as far as science knows now, which is not the whole picture. You know, there's three receptors. Right, because this research has been blocked yeah, in exactly. the U.S. until just very recently. Yeah, but it's been one of the most hot topics of scientific inquiry over the last 25 years. And it's one of the largest medical breakthroughs in science, in medicine. The, the acknowledgement of this 
endogenous cannabinoid system in our body yeah. that's not even taught about in medical school or nursing school right. is one of the largest medical breakthroughs in, in modern in history. In what sense? What do you mean? I mean, be, the implications of this system and what it does to regulate homeostasis and maintain, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of, and, and play a role in symbiosis with all the other systems in our body to, you know, be healthy and live life, you know, is, is really important. There's, so let me, you know, kind of, so, so the endocannabinoid system is basically just to give you a quick rundown. There's, there's three components to it. There's, um, the receptors, there's CB1. It's in your central nervous system um, throughout your brain. That's what THC binds to to make you feel high. Okay. Um, it's also in certain organs like your kidneys, your liver, and your lungs. Um, you know, then you have your CB2 receptor, which is throughout your peripheral nervous system, your immune system, also in certain organs, a little bit in your brain, this and that. Um, then you have this other receptor that is one of the newer endocannabinoid receptors that's really big uh, interest right now in the scientific community. It's going to be a, a topic of presentation at this conference, Patients Out of Time conference here in Portland. It's called um, GPR55. It's a G-coupled protein receptor, GPR55. It's, um, it's, it's, it's become known as the orphan receptor, which is like, uh, you know, it's, they're not calling it CB3. They're just leaving it with GPR55. But um, this receptor is believed to be, there's, there's, um, there's research suggesting it's intracellularly and maybe in the nucleus of all our cells in our body. So, so if you kind of look at this like, idea of targeted cannabinoid therapy, you know, and how we produce these chemicals that fit in these receptors. You have this receptor throughout your central nervous system. There's one throughout your immune system, all throughout your organs, and then in every cell in our body. So we have these receptors throughout everywhere that we produce. So, so you have the receptor, then you have the um, ligand, the endogenously produced chemical that fits into the receptor. Um, they're called ligands, and, and there's two of them that are known about. There's anandamide, AEA. Raphael Meshulam discovered this, con- this chemical um, from Israel. Um, it is... Um, so na- there's a nanomide. It is what is responsible for the runner's high. You know, so the runner's high is less to do with neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and more to do with the release of an, your endogenous cannabinoid, anandamide. Really? That binds to your, your endocannabinoid receptors. So I've never had a runner's high. Or, you know, if you've ever, like, just, like, a brisk walk high. I've <laughs> <laughs> never had that either. <laughs> I, I wish, man, if I could get a brisk walk high, I'd weigh 20 pounds less. I, I'd be... <laughs> That's why, why I always say to my gay friends, man, if I could get laid when I went to the gym, I'd look like you, dude. You know, exactly. runner, I read about runner's high. It's like, are you kidding me? I run, my teeth hurt. I feel like death. I feel horrible. It's one of those things that takes a while to get back like, into. Everyone yeah. says that, yeah. Yeah, it takes like a week or two of dedication to finally get there. A week of running? Yeah. I've, I've put in <laughs> or like, or almost like, Or almost like... Well, or some some small dedicated amount of time. I think the way you know, this is going to sound horrible, probably to our female listeners, but you know, I I think the only way to get me running long term would be like the the way they have dog races and they have the rabbit. You know, <laughs> there'd have to be like a hot woman ten it. steps in front of me, and I could probably keep going. I feel like I'm there a lot <laughs> further. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just like, I, yeah, I don't know. Big anyway, big sorry, Big got no, you no, off. please, please, please. But uh, yeah, so it's inter- w- there's but, two. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. But, oh, no. You know, very interesting how this uh, corresponds <laughs> to all the the discoveries that came about shortly after LSD was discovered, right? Because everybody was like, oh, how the fuck does that happen? Yeah. A hundred mi- micrograms of... L- of micrograms. This, yeah, yeah, micrograms of this substance, or 150 or whatever was the dose that Hoffman was talking about, uh, creates these incredible changes in, in the mind. 
how does that happen? So they start looking into it, and that's when they discover neurotransmitters. Whoa, reset. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they discover and how the brain psychedelics works. and entheogens and plant-based like medicines have helped push and drive the whole development of science and our understanding of neuroscience. Right. There would be no Prozac yeah, no, without no, LSD. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 now that you know, and there's been such a diehard dogmatic kind of attempt to keep cannabis, you know, in this box. But the thing right. is, is cha- you know, roundaboutly science. All, it's so funny because it's the lo- one of the longest you know plants to receive such like vilification or whatever, you know. But now through all the science and the understanding of our bodies and the system, the neurotransmitter systems, all this other stuff, it's like starting to become realized as one of the largest panaceas, essentially. You know, I mean, and, I mean, that, I talk very passionately, like open, optimistic about it. You know, a lot of scientists would call me. You know, I'm not a scientist either. Right. A lot of scientists would call me idiot for calling saying panacea type stuff, but it is because when you know, there's this. So, so just real quickly. So, so there's anandamide. That's right. one of the natural endogenously produced chemicals that right. we that bind to the receptors in our body. CB1, CB2, GPR55. Um, and then there's this other one called 2AG. So there's anandamide and 2AG. 2AG is very interestingly released in female breast milk. So female breast milk has elevated levels of 2AG in it, which science is now attributing giving babies the suckling effect and the hunger effect and helping to you know, develop an early childhood immune system. You know, and, so, and, is, and, and, this recept, and this chemical is a um, <clears throat> CB1 receptor agonist. So the CB1 receptor, which is what THC binds to, which is what's throughout your brain and your central nervous system, that's being lit off from the moment you're born by female breast milk, you know. And so, so the and then and and then the third component to this endogenous cannabinoid system is um, the, the are these things called ligand digesting enzymes. So there's these enzymes that very quickly break down the natural release of these compounds that we produce that bind to the receptors. So there's DAGL, which breaks down to AG, and there's um, FA, sorry, FA, F-A-A-H, um, fatty acid amide hydrolase, and that breaks down anandamide. So whenever you go for a run, the reason why a runner's high doesn't last like five hours, like you, you, if you smoke a blunt, you know, or take a dab or smoke a joint, is because it's broken, you know, so you release it, so you, you work for it, you know, you, it gets released and you've got this feel-good, you, know, um, you know, kind of receptor effect. But then very quickly, anandamide gets broken down by this chemical called FA, and then, you know, it goes away. And so you have these ligand digesting enzymes that break down the cannabinoids. And the only reason why I bring those up is because they kind of play a role in this this later thing. Like I wanted to talk to you about getting back to that dude named Ethan Russo. Right. You know, he he flipped the industry on its head by introducing the concept of terpenes and the entourage effect and basically making indica and sativa obsolete words mm. to try to describe effects uh, because right. they describe morphological traits the growth right. characteristics right but they're not meant to use to be used to describe the effects effects are the chemotype that's the terpenes and the cannabinoids specifically right, right. and so he he did that boom and he's he's such a g for that because he just like changed the whole game right and then the other thing he did is he introduced this concept called the clinical endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome oh boy and that's like that's a trip like um like like so like such people who weren't breastfed as kids did that exactly so 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 whatever is maybe some uh, epigenetic factor maybe some uh, 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 effect from um, some type of vaccination response mm-hmm. maybe some type of dietary type thing for whatever reason 
that's creating this thing that he's calling a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, where one component of the system is either producing too much, producing too little, you know, not binding right. And so, so things such as fibromyalgia, um, um, right, chronic pain conditions, yeah, yeah, things such as uh, uh, migraines, uh-huh. as well as um, like like irritable bowel syndrome, he is attributing to, and science is now backing up the idea that that is some type of imbalance in the natural functioning of your endocannabinoid system. Really? Yeah. And so, so just in the in the in the in the on the concept or on the on the topic of digestive tract disorders you know you have like cb2 receptors through your digestive tract right right and then and and the the your your gut microbiology plays a substantial role in the natural production and functioning of releasing cam- your endogenous yeah. cannabinoids and binding yeah. the receptors all this other stuff right but so you know there's a lot going on in there so so for whatever reason if you test the uh, the fall levels the which is the the enzyme that breaks down ananamide which is the runner's high chemical. Uh-huh. If, if you test gut levels for FA in Crohn's patients and like irritable bowel syndrome and colitis, like these different digestive tract disorders, you know, there's a correlation to really high levels of FA being produced in the gut and the patient experiencing this awful disease or disorder. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder, I was just at this uh, paleo conference in Austin yeah, a couple weeks awesome. ago and they talk a lot about the gut. The paleo folks, you know, there's oh, all this. Well, I see you don't, you're not a you're a non gluten person, totally. so you're obviously aware of all yeah, this no, stuff, I'm, the I'm leaky gut it, yeah. syndrome and all that. Um, but yeah, it's I interesting. Took Accutane. Uh, you take Accutane. I took it when oh. I was young, which destroyed my gut. Oh, okay. And kind right. of helped create type of digestive tract disorder in my body. Right, right. From when yeah. I was a fat, like 300 pound high school kid. Yeah, I, it's it's all very interesting how these things seem to be converging. I mean, I was at this conference talking about paleosexuality, right? Epic. Which was pretty cool because they, um, you know, the whole paleo movement's still pretty pretty young. Uh, I think this was the third or fourth year that they had done this particular conference, uh, Paleo FX. And, like, all the big guns were there, you know, Rob Wolf and uh, I don't remember their names because I'm not that focused on it. All the Gs. All the big dudes and, and women were there. But, um, but it's all about diet and exercise, right? And just this year they, is when they started bringing in, okay, let's bring this guy in to talk about sexuality. And there was a panel on shamanism wow. that was really interesting. Um, uh, there were some people on the panel who I've read their books, I've seen their, their stuff, and it's all about diet and the gut and blah, blah, blah. And they're on this panel on shamanism talking very knowledgeably about hallucinogens, altered states of consciousness, how this affects digestion, wow. how this affects other states. You know, the, And it, it feels like this paleo movement is at a point now where it's starting to, things are starting to converge. And it's not just paleo, it's marijuana, it's MAPS, you know, Rick Doblin and, and his work, where he's starting. Well, it's back to human type, like, activities yeah, almost, you know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, and they're all sort of coming Taking together, yeah. you know what I yeah, mean? You know, like, I they that. were all isolated, and now they're, everyone's starting to notice. I feel like that's the sh- shift that everybody's been, like, anticipating or speaking about and it's like this there's a critical mass sense yeah that that, and when you were talking about the healing effects and ethan russo's work and all this kind of stuff i was thinking how interesting it is that you know like like you said marijuana has been vilified and and it's a schedule one you know like give me a fucking break you know 
all right, this this guy who jumped off the fucking roof in wherever the hell that was. Denver. Yeah. Denver. Uh, you can attribute that to lots of things, but um, no one's ever overdosed on marijuana. Never. Right? Yeah. You, you can't. And that's a very shady, like, cannabis yeah. related death. And then, there's always, like, you know, oh, drugs were involved in 60% of deaths from traffic accidents. And then it turns out, like, okay, you know, they, uh, you know, they were forced off the road by a truck. They hit a tree. And when their, you know, the autopsies were performed, there was THC found in one of the people in the back seat. That counts as drugs being involved in the deaths. You know, yeah. I mean, what do you? Th- what's going to happen as marijuana is legalized with driving? Because as most people know, you smoke a joint yeah. on Thursday, Sunday night, you still got THC in your blood, detectable, yeah. maybe even no, up to a, a month really later. Good question, because. The the biggest problem is once again due to ignorance. You know, you have legislators that are creating these certain Willful laws. Ignorance in yeah, that case. and oftentimes aren't taking in like the expert advice or like you know consensus from the community. You know, and so all of a sudden, you know, because for historically, um, whenever blood has been tested for THC, what's tested for is eleven carboxy THC. So basically, the way that the um, metabolomics of delta nine THC goes is like, you you take it into your body you eat delta 9 thc it's digested by your liver it's turn. it goes to this first pass where it's converted into 11 hydroxy thc and then f- once it wears off right it basically recarboxylizes and it, and and so it, it has a co2 molecule back added to it and, and to this metabolite the psychoactive metabolite then converts right. into this storage fat storage fat, cannabinoid exactly right. called 11 carboxy so 11 dash coh dash thc and 11 carboxy thc is what is the long-term storage cannabinoid and so if you were to take like a bong rip like um right now and you were never smoked cannabis before and four hours later you were to get pulled over and get a blood test you might not i mean you say or say eight hours later something like it maybe you know just to be safe you know eight hours later you get blood tested. You might not even have any delta nine. I mean, you might not test positive in any way for cannabis. Mm. You know, but that's because you haven't built up any type of fat right. storage of eleven carbox in your body fat. Right. You know, now if you were to smoke cannabis on a daily basis and like in, ingest cannabis, and you're just building up these like storage. You know, you'll you'll you could test for up to a month or longer for this non psychoactive right. metabolite. metabolite. And, and, and it's in and, your hair too, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's and and so, you know, and but but and and real quickly backing up to a previous point we were talking about on right. the Rick Simpson oil, um, there is a doctor that I have a lot of admiration and respect for. His name is Doctor William Courtney. He's a doctor up in Northern California. He's pretty much the dude that when I moved out to California. And me and my now ex girlfriend Taylor, we moved up to. Oh, so we we got to get back oh. to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This is but, why it's called tangentially yes, speaking. No, you see it. why it's now, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so rad. Um, um, but, all right. Yeah, so, the, doctor. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So that, that actually lead into it. So, so we moved back. We moved to the West Coast. Saved up money. Moved to the West Coast. Moved to Santa Cruz. Couldn't find jobs or a place to live, and. Um, you know, basically, and Taylor's her dad father was a grower. Right? Yeah, her dad was a grower, and up so her father. Humboldt? Up in Mendocino County. Mendocino. Right in the heart beautiful. of the Emerald Triangle at this place uh-huh. called Area 101. There's this dude named Tim Blake. Is it cool to talk about all this? Yeah, publicly? for sure. Okay. This, okay. He's, he's a hero in, in, you know, in, in my eyes and in, in the eyes of a lot of people right. in the community. And um, so, so basically, um, this dude named Tim Blake, he, um, he, he's the father of my ex, um, Taylor Blake. 
and um, he in- invited us basically when he found that we had a hard time finding a soft landing in Santa Cruz. He invited us up to his property. Um, I had no idea what we were getting into. Trim he invited some us buds. Up. Yeah, he invited us up to like you know help us you know get, get off um, you know get a soft cool. landing in California. That's nice. And you know, little did I know, he's this you know thirty plus year master organic cannabis farmer. Sweet. You know, kind of you know up in Northern California, up in Mendocino County, and he um, he he basically is this public figure that's been a very uh, loud and uh, uh, outspoken advocate um, in Mendocino County and the Emerald Triangle for you know twenty plus years. And he he actually puts on an event in Northern California called the Emerald Cup, which is this. It's uh you know one of the lan- longest running cannabis competitions you know in the United States. It's uh it's an outdoor specific cannabis competition going on for like this is now the eleventh year, oh, but nice. but but yeah. Anyway, so we moved out to California. Um, we were up at his property. Um, you know, basically that's kind of where I I like to believe I got you know, my bachelor's degree in you know organic organic cannabis farming, and um and it was up there that I met this this character named Doctor William Courtney. And Dr. Courtney, uh, he essentially pioneered the juicing movement where people take fresh cannabis juice or probably fresh cannabis leaf or bud and juice it. Just juice the whole thing. Don't dry it or smoke it. Just juice it. Because when you're juicing, you're concentrating the raw plant cannabinoids that are unheated. So the THCA, which also have incredible um, properties uh, medicinally and anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory and autoimmune treating. But not so much psychoactive. Not at all psychoactive. Yeah. T- Delta-9 THC is the it psychoactive component. It needs to be component. heated to be released. Right? Yeah, the, the yeah. raw plant cannabinoids that the, right. the cannabis plant produces, if it's a THC plant, indica or sativa, it's THCA. Right. If it's a CBD plant like Canatonic or Harlequin or ACDC or Charlotte's Web or Valentine X, any of these ones, that it, the plant produces CBDA. And so in either case, it's the heating intervention that converts the molecule into CBDA to CBD, right. THCA to THC. So people who eat a bud and think they get high, that's placebo. It's like placebo, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Because, I mean, if, if they're eating a really old bud that's been stored, like, outside in the sun. <laughs> yeah, for, like, in you an know, oven. The, they, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the long heating, because decarboxylation, right. which is converting the molecule from THCA to THC, is a process of heat and time. So the longer the heat, or the higher the heat, the, the shorter the amount of time. The, the lower the heat, the longer the amount of time, mm. you know, and so, so yeah, so, right. but, but if you took a fresh bud, you know, that's dried, cured, you know, super stinky, ready to smoke and you'd eat it. No, you'd Nothing. be, it's you, a waste. you know, it would, I mean, well, it's not a waste because, because if you tested that bud, it would be about 24, you know, if it's really well done, really nice, maybe 20, 24% THCA. Now that's 200 milligrams, 200 plus milligrams for, for a gram of that. So if you took that and ate it, you just ate 200 milligrams THCA. So if you were trying to like inhibit like the enzymes that produce inflammation in your body, you just nailed it. You know, oh, okay. you know. And if you were, you know, because THCA right. and these, you know, so all the cannabinoids have incredible medicinal effects, right. but they're not psychoactive. Right. Right. And right. so, okay. Yeah. So, but and do the leaves, aside from juicing, because you always <laughs> see the leaf, right? Like the yeah. marijuana, and they show the leaf and. You know, as somebody who's spent 20 years off and on growing, 
I always sort of laugh at that because, like, the leaf, you just, I mean, you throw it away, essentially. Yeah, it's compost you know? or trash. Yeah, yeah, it's refuse. Yeah, although, yeah. I mean, late, later I started using it for uh, hash oil. Nice. You know, make some hash oil yeah. from it. But even that, I mean, because I don't know the chemistry yeah. so well. I'm not really sure what's coming, you know. Yeah. Um, the further from the bud, the lower the amount of THCA. Yeah. You know, but the, yeah. but the, the leaf itself does, I mean, 100% have, you know, you're still going to find, you know, you know, I mean, so, because... That's what Dr. Courtney's all about. He's all about juicing leaf. So you take tons of leaf and you juice. But if you take tons of leaf and juice, you concentrate relatively small amounts of THCA into your juice. Right. Now, if you were to take leaves that are f- closer to the bud that are covered in all the, like, trichrome, sticky, like, hash, like, the yeah. that, those are the cannabinoids, you know. If you were to take that and juice that, you're going to get a more concentrated amount of THCA per ounce. Now, if you were to take the f- a full bud, like a full cola... You just chop off a plant that's finished instead of drying it. You're going to get a substantial concentration THCA per gram, per per ounce. Right. So the you know the further you get from the bud, right. essentially just the less milligram content it's going to have per milliliter. I wrote an article for I used to write a column for like the Spanish High Times. Nice. It was called it's called uh, Canyamo is the name of the magazine. It's in Spain in Latin America. Nice. I had a, a page every month they gave me. They just said, like, write whatever the fuck you want. That's cool. And uh, most of the time I wrote about figures from the 60s that young people coming up had didn't know about. So I wrote Excellent. about Timothy Leary and the Beatles and, Excellent. you know, the whatever. Like, just stuff that, you know, the young people who are into that culture, but they don't know. You know, they don't know, like, what it was like. Not, neither do I, by the way. I was a little kid, but, you know, I'm sort of the bridge, I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I wrote, I wrote an article uh, about how female sexual frustration is the source of the high in marijuana plants, right? Because the whole point of cultivation is that you create these sexually frustrated females. Big time. Remove all the males. And it's almost, I mean, a stinky bud is a wet pussy, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that has not, because I mean, when the flower, the female flower grows, that's a great, great point. They grow, and and, and, and because they're, they're just, not getting fertilized, the whole they time keep they're creating just more resin specifically and, because they're looking to get jizzed on, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so and they're just going they're just getting bigger, and they're just all those hairs are it? just they're like yeah, waiting for it, <laughs> and then it eventually just cracks out. You know. Yeah, I know. No, that's a gr- that's a great great uh, yeah. uh, article to tie together. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, so what the hell are we talking um, about well, now? So, there, so there the reason why I brought up Dr. Corey oh, yeah. was the, okay, Dr. Was, Corey, right. so the 11 the carboxy thing. Uh-huh. So we were talking about 11 carboxy, which is the storage cannabinoid that builds up your body. Yeah, bl- which is the only runner's high I've ever, I've got a chance of getting. If I start burning old fat. There you go. You know, because <laughs> there's stuff. That, that's true, right? That that can happen. You could store. Well, it's a, I mean, well, so that's, and that was my, that was my tie-in. So Dr. Courtney, he believes the reason why Rick Simpson oil is working when you take such incredibly high, like, doses on a daily basis because all the doctors at patients at the time, they say one puff is enough. You know, they're, the, their big thing is like microdosing because at microdose levels, at a virgin endocannabinoid system receptor site, you have substantial receptor binding activity and like effect, mm. you know. And, and the thing is, is you're racing against tolerance, right? Because like as you're like dosing, if you, keep, if you up your doses, like you develop a tolerance. And the reason why you develop a tolerance is because you downregulate the amount of receptor sites, kind of cut off the amount that are available, and you so that you can take such doses of this cannabinoid, and so that's what that's how, like how can somebody like you have to like a patient has to dedicate like a week of almost comatose state 
if they have cancer to going through Rick Simpson protocol because they have to take like they have to build a tolerance from 10 milligrams of THC where they get high to 500 at least a day you know and 500 milligrams THC is like that's like no I mean that's like five of your strongest edibles that blast people the most recreational users in California Colorado or Washington you know and so 500 milligrams dose a day is super ridiculous and so so why is it that blasting your endocannabinoid system with such high levels of this certain cannabinoid why is that having some kind of an effect you know, and so this this guy, my friend, my my a mentor, I would even bit of a say, I'd even say in a bit of a way, this guy, Dr. Courtney, he has a position that he believes possibly that whenever so you take THC, it's it's converted to eleven hydroxy THC, it's further converted to eleven carboxy THC, which is what stores in your body fat, and now what if you create a saturation level of eleven carboxy THC in your body fat? that you just keep maintaining such high levels of THC that eventually breaks down to that, that stores in your body fat, that you have such a saturation of 11-carboxy that maybe it's that that's having the anti-cancer benefits. You know, and that's just a bit of a hypothesis. So because it's saturated, it's still free circulating rather than being sequestered in the fat. Well, so it's like, well, so it's like if you, so if you have like, if you just have like, you know, overload levels of 11 carbox in your body fat because you've just been on a daily basis been taking 2,000 milligrams a day of THC. Right. That eventually breaks down to that. And that is what is what's built up in all fat cells throughout your entire body. You know, maybe that storage cannabinoid is what's being drawn on to treat cancer or to be having these apoptotic effects. Now, do these substances, do we get them from anywhere else in our diet? What? Or, cannabinoids? Uh, the cannabinoids? Not at all. Not that's what's amazing about it, you know, and that's what Michael Pollan's whole um, uh, botany of desire thing, you know, right. the coevolution. Yeah. You know, it's like we, you know, the plant has worked with us to, I mean, so, so it's like his whole thing was that, you know, it's like human beings have worked with these plants to help evolve themselves and the plant has worked with humans to help evolve itself, you know, and so there's this coevolutionary path and how it's worked out. But right. cannabis is one of the, there's not really anything else. There's, there's some miscon- misinformation about like flaxseed certain things that produce cannabinoids, but cannabis pretty much is... It's like the only source. Yeah, and besides what we naturally produce. cannabis is also a very interesting plant in the sense that it, it's not part of any other group of plants, right? It's in, it's a unique category yeah. of... I don't remember if it's well, phyla it's, it's, it's or family kind of related to, you know, the hops plant the hops, like we were yeah. talking about earlier. But yeah, I mean, it's it's very unique. It's very yeah. it's kind of on its own. And, and, you know, in the future of medicine, like what, you know, just a plant that produces these glandular trichromes and the future possibility of being able to even like genetically modify and create a different chemical compound inside those trichromes than THC. You know, there's like that, all this like future tumor attacking or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, but but replacing the trichrome producing yeah. of THC for like, you know, I mean, imagine something like DMT being produced by a cannabis plant in the trichromes. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's just so much interesting weird likeness and fascination about the cannabis plant now and how it can be almost hijacked as a vehicle to produce as a biochemical engine. Right. You know, but but it as a plant is pretty magnificent. So where so where are we going? Uh, I mean, let's bring politics into this now and money, right? Because uh, all right, I I look at the history of the United States and, and the world to a lesser extent, but it's, it really seems the the resistance to cannabis has been uh, the source has been the United States, American sure. po- politics. And it originated, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
my understanding is that it originated with Harry Anslinger at the end of Prohibition, who uh, was in charge of going after the, the bootleggers and all that. So they, they uh, finished Prohibition, and suddenly this guy and his whole government department had no job, and they were going to be eliminated, and instead he found another enemy, which is what always happens. When the fucking war ends, you find another enemy, or they're going to yep. shut down the army, and nobody wants to lose their job. So same thing with the fucking yeah. Cold War. Now we've got terrorists, yeah. right? What, so the, yeah. They shut down alcohol, and so they say, okay, who can we vilify and you know justify attacking now uh fucking marijuana why because it's the niggers and the mexicans yep. no no and i appreciate you saying that because like i th- i put on a lot of educational training seminars for patients bud tenders that are working with patients to advise on the types of cannabis they should be using right and also with medical doctors and one one very big point that i always bring up is the word marijuana like purely Purely, pure and simple is a racial pejorative word that was used in this time, as you're describing, to associate Mexican and black use of cannabis with raping white women. Right. And the demonization campaign. Because the thing is, is in this time, Henry Engslinger, the like Hearst journalism, like right. like the, so the, the creation of cotton gin, yeah. like there was a there was a multifaceted like you know in the early thirties or whenever like it was you know, hemp was on the cover of Time magazine, you know right. the next billion dollar crop. This and that is you know for everything there's you could use it, but for whatever reason, industry and the creation of these new industries from the creation paper. of the cotton gin, right? You know from cotton, the cre- you yeah. know from fabric like, paper, yeah, 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 and you know the lots you know, of industrial industry. You know, yeah. it's like the Rockefellers, you know, all these these families that have been creating and driving it. You know, for a lot of different reasons. You know, from medicine to like you know textiles to like composite parts for cars to like you know mm. you know yeah, to like you're right. cotton to create plastics, yeah, and, and to create yeah. you know and, and and biofuels like like yeah. it's it is a billion dollar year industry it's yeah. like it is it is one of the only positive growth industries still in existence you know and it, it's it's an american industry and it's a job creating grassroots industry you know and and yeah. so and 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 it's funny because it's taken a long time to like overcome and reclaim and redefine what we're doing with this plant you know from taking the word marijuana and the use of it to like vilify ourselves and society and and Just another guy yeah. with a small dick yeah. <laughs> oh, a couple of them. Big beard, small dick. And they're just posting up, too. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I love this move. Uh, and there's yeah. going to be 10 of them. Oh, and they're going to park. And I think they heard me say that. We're in trouble now, huh? <laughs> uh, they're making way for their five other friends. Oh, uh, yeah. American flag on the back. That's America. Good. By the way, that's what voodoo looks like. Nice. Yeah, that's... The guy who who almost killed me with his uh, Rick Simpson oil dabbing. He pre- he essentially dabbed you. He dabbed. <laughs> he dabbed you, but with a pill of THC. So he, dabbing. What is dabbing? Uh, well, dab, dabbing is a phenomenon that's exploding. Um, you know, it's. I know I sound like an old fogey. You know, what's what are you kids these days? <laughs> dabbing. What is no, dabbing? It's, is it's, that it's, a, it's like twerking. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, it, it's. It's almost getting to be as popular. For sure. <laughs> so, what is dabbing? <laughs> so, so, so essentially, um, the youth culture has taken cannabis full retard with it. Essentially, full what? Full retard. You know, to to put it bluntly and uh-huh. awfully. You know, I mean, from you know, take quoting like Tropic Thunder on that level. Anyway, um, so 
what dabbing is basically great (laughs) yeah yeah so so dabbing is basically so if if cannabis flowers were to coca leaves dabs would be to crack oh okay so that's a that's i mean it's kind of a fucking awful way to put it but but basically right it's like hyper purified it's it's super concentrated super super so so there's with cannabis there's the herbal cannabis which is the flower Right. right There's the extracted form from a water solvent extract, right. like bubble hash, water hash. Tests about 30, 50, 36 percent. Super pure, super uh, fresh frozen, uh, ran versions of ice water extract can test up toward, upward towards as high as maybe like 75 percent total cannabinoids. But then you have these solvent super super extracts, right? These uh, these super super concentrates, like um, that are extracted with solvents like butane, right? Or like pentane or p- propane or like yeah. ethanol or like CO two, right? You know, and so pure in, grain alcohol. Yes. So yeah. in these with yeah. these types of extracts, you can achieve upward towards as high as maybe ninety percent total cannabinoids, right? And so in these ultra high purified extracts. I'll actually show you one because it's it's pretty amazing. Um, so essentially, you know, there's a lot of uh, demonization that's currently going around the solvent butane as an extract solvent, right. even though it is for what it's worth. Whenever it's in a super high purified quality form, probably one of the most um, superior extraction solvents that there is to to pull what you want from the cannabis plant and right. turn it into a concentrated extract form. you have to be form. extremely careful. Exactly Anyone right. who's listening to this no, who's thinking of doing this... Um, it, takes, uh, it takes a scientific I've background. I've done it with it alcohol, and even that, you don't want to use any open flame anywhere near it. So I'm looking at a piece of paper with what appears to be waxy... Looks like a candle dripped on Yeah, that's like... They call that consistency, like, uh, overshatter. And that's this is the extreme. Yeah. So you know, overshadow. So 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 butane as an extraction solvent. The reason why it's really a really good solvent to use it's because it's a really low boiling point oh, solvent, right? Great. It's so exactly. So wow, it <laughs> smells like uh, what is that? It's OG Kush. Wow, that smells really good. Right. That's like super minty fresh. Yeah. So, 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 so exactly that is the reason why butane is a great extraction solvent. So, there's of all the different types of extraction solvents you can use, butane is one that has an incredibly low boiling point that, when put under vacuum, can completely pull all the solvent out without disrupting any of the raw characteristics of the plant, without burning off any terpenes without decarboxylating any of the THCA to THC mm. or CBDA to CBD. Right. And so, and and with it, you then create this dabbable type concentrate. Now, what a dab means is like you get a little dollop, like you have a little like dental tool or like a, or like a, um, like almost like an like, uh, archaeological tool, like right. a little digging tool, right. like a little like fine tooth type tool, right? And you just take a little dollop. You put it in like a crack pipe. Yeah. It, well, so or so, hash so, oil pipe. I've used the, exactly, the exactly. Orb so, with a little yeah, hole. At the top. Yeah. So, so, so these they call them dab rigs. So, so, so all the so the the you have to recognize the glass movement in the glass industry and how it has also shaped the way that cannabis constant cannabis consumption is going. Because right. these glass blowers have created these, there was a revolution that happened in the in the cannabis in, industry and movement with smoking and with in taking and choosing 
dabs and concentrated forms of cannabis over flowers, and it happened whenever the glass blowers created gla- uh, dab rigs. And when was this? This was probably like, I mean, not long, like five to six years ago, five to seven years ago, five, you know, right mm-hmm. around there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this type of some you know extract is being being made for twenty thirty years. For sure, uh, you know butane with alcohol, all this stuff. But there was hot yeah. knives. No, I had Nobody, hash oil in yeah, the eighties. Exactly, 80s, exactly, you know, yeah. exactly. So I mean, you know, taking uh, knife hits. You know, there's honey these different oil, honey, yeah, honey oil. oil. Yeah. Honey yeah. Oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no different. Oh, it's just, <laughs> yeah. There's no difference. They just people just figured out how to perfect and make more making honey oil money. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but the thing is, is there's there's a there's an artisanry to like taking the to growing. The best flower there is that has the stinkiest, most perfect terpene and cannabinoid profile, and extracting that and just grabbing that essence right. and having it in extracted form. Right. Because all of a sudden you have, yeah, and f- for what it's worth, you know, you have, a, I mean, arguably a, a safer, less carcinogenic plant material type concentrate if you are going to be in vaporizing or ingesting it. And right. with it, you're able to standardize the dose a lot more. But, than you but how does that cannabis. tie into Ethan Russo's entourage effect, right? Because I'm yes. thinking about the difference between chewing coca leaves mm-hmm. and snorting coke, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's like it's we do it with everything. The, the willow bark that contains, uh, what is it, a silicilic acid, which is aspirin. You know, people have been chewing that for thousands of years uh, with no ill effects. You start, you turn it into aspirin, and it eats a hole in your stomach. You know, if you're not careful. Yeah. So th- the this movement, you know, do you know who Andrew Weil is? Yeah, Andrew Weil is like one of the G's. Again, I appreciate the podcast that you have. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. And one of the things he he he's been pointing out for like 40 years now yeah, is, you know, how we 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 take a plant that's got all these different chemicals in it that are all interacting in complex interesting ways and we um reduce it to a a single molecule in a white powder and in so doing we we think we're making it safer and and pure and all that great stuff but in fact what we're doing is we're creating a problem for our bodies because that thing that substance didn't exist in nature yeah so our body doesn't really know how to deal with it in isolation yeah no i mean you know i mean it's you know you can't fully make the like comparison to like these super extracted types of concentrates right. to like because they've got crack the other stuff still and in all them. This other stuff. Because for what it is worth, you're taking exactly what you would want to take, which is the uh, okay. principal components Smell of it. Again. Yeah, I want to show you another one too. You know, because that that's sm- I've smelled a lot of weed, but that's that. Yeah. You're right. That's like that's like only the essence of yeah, it. It's, exactly, exactly. And and it's so it's almost like a perfume. That'd be a really nice perfume. And from from Ethan Russo's perspective, it's I think that might actually be the same one, but just a different batch. It smells good. Yeah, but but essentially, you know, on from Ethan. So so what you'll see anybody do like um, from the the standpoint of like GW Pharmaceuticals or like any of their competitors or anybody that's trying to make a marketable type concentrate, you know, or, or infused product, you start with the herbal plant and then you extract the essences off of it that you want to be concentrating, which are the terpenes and the, and the cannabinoids. And then from that, you have a raw extract that you can do whatever you want with. If it tests 700 or sorry, if it tests 70%, that's 700 milligrams a gram. Once you know that 700 milligram milligrams a gram, you can adequately dose any type of infused product you want. You can 
create a very standardized dosed type concentrate that could be used in something like this, like a vape pen that you can titrate a dose. I mean, because my point, you know, in a bit of a way is would something like this that's very, you know, this is a vape pen, uh, it's a cloud vape pen um, that, you know, you, you load up with your own type of hash oil and you kind of, you know, you, can, you self-titrate with it. Right. So will this type of device one day be more accepted in like a nursing home or in a hospital than a bong? Right. Will a bong ever be accepted? <laughs> will somebody, will Grammy, Granny, yeah. like sitting on her like little yeah, gurney, yeah. ripping a bong, will that ever, or even smoking a joint, will it smoking a joint, will that happen? I would argue probably won't. Well, you know, pretty, very soon, it's already happening. Young grannies these days were hippies in the 60s, right? Big time. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of grannies who, who know all about hitting bongs. Big time. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. No, no. I grew up on bongs. I still can't roll a yeah. joint to save my fucking life because yeah. I grew up smoking bongs. Hell it's yeah. A big problem. Um, all right. So what I wanted to ask you before, like bringing this around to politics and economics and all that, is from your perspective, somewhat within the industry, what do you think is happening now? Is it just that the the... The idiocy of drug laws around marijuana have, you know, have been sort of eroded by 30, 40, 50 years of people knowing it's bullshit. And now those people are in public office and and, uh, positions of responsibility where like nobody believes marijuana is really a big health issue. Right. Or is it that industry, as you were hinting at earlier, pharmaceuticals and maybe the tobacco industry have come to the point where they see there's money in this and there's there's a way for them to harness this because the the argument's always been pharmaceutical companies are against it because they're so because there's no way to make money from it i can grow this shit in my backyard yeah well know? they 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 they're in the business of making single molecule isolates and right. cannabis is a whole plant medicine exactly with a synergy right. of all these different chemicals. super easy to grow super, super easy, easy, to, easy to, extract. To, to extract do the things you need to do so so what's happening Why i think is you're it right changing? on the second or, on the second point or is it maybe a third point that because of the rise of alternative media like the one we're using right yes, now 100% we can say this shit to people. Joe Rogan can say this shit 100%. to people, a and lot more people. And like, wow, how do you fight against that? You're going to have to shut them down, right? Yeah. I think it's a combination of two and three. The internet yeah. is is making 100%. truth in some ways. I mean, it's doing a lot of bad shit as well. But Sure. And, and you know, if you've ever listened to me and Joe talk, I'm kind of resistant to big his time. internet utopian big time, views. Big time, big time. But it does seem... Like maybe he's got a real point when it comes to this kind of stuff because how do you stop it? How do you stop it? There's Can't. so many people who yeah. know from personal experience. Well, that's well because that you know, just you know, ignorance. Once I mean that's why it's like that's what's so amazing is once education, once a level of awareness hits you, it's like it, there's no turning back. You know, and so you know, yeah. and, and and through these mediums like the internet, it's helping to really push the issue. But the thing is, is for so long you've had these very you know, kind of, I mean, there's establishments built around keeping cannabis illegal. Like right. there, sure. the amount Huge. of people that are, you know, that there are jobs created around to enforce cannabis being illegal. You know, there's such structures and bureaucratic structures <coughs> around keeping cannabis illegal that's built on, you know, 
hundred years of venomous propaganda, you know? And so, so through the internet and this magical device that's helped to like essentially free the masses, I feel like we're experiencing this renaissance in, in, in paleo and like, in I think human, (coughs) excuse me, sorry. Hey, those coughs are great, man. That that makes it all real. <laughs> makes it all real. Sorry, <laughs> but I, I I do I do feel that the give you three guesses why he's coughing, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm interviewing Cheech and Chong's son if they were a gay couple. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, I let my give myself away. A dabble, do you? Dabble, do you? <laughs> right yes so and and that's out of a vape pen too so it was pretty essentially a dab so but i think i think you're right with point two and point three um you know i think there's been a lot of powers to keep cannabis illegal and not enough citizen lobby groups and uh, grassroots initiative to actually get the government to change their laws yeah now i think it's changing it's changing because the internet it's changing because the pharmaceutical industry is fucking Sanjay Gupta. You know, I mean, I know I know from our perspective, he's very late to the party. Late but, to the party. Uh, from the he's a cannabagger. <laughs> cannabagger. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, no. but, hey, but he, he did. He's amazing. Sanjay, he's amazing know? because he introduced cannabidiol to 50 million Americans. And how many MDs are willing ever to say they were wrong? Yeah, you know? exactly. Especially no, no. ones with well, TV such an ego, like very yeah, fucking. There, it seems like there's a, well, it seems like there's a level of in education that happens where you feel like you know everything there is to know, and you shut off. You know, which sucks yeah. because like then you become a dinosaur because you have all these yeah. really smart people that right. can't. They're just living off of this like age old story of propaganda part of cannabis, and the story is changing because. The citizens groups and because the inter- in- internet and information yeah <coughs> sorry Got it. all right we're, we're done coughing we got sorry another beer and uh the harley davidson guys are still sitting there i gotta say uh one one thing that comes to mind at doing this podcast is that if you want to meet chicks a good thing to do is hang out with a friend and a couple of microphones. Yeah, no, it's actually really awesome. Everybody's looking, or everybody comes in us. is like, "Who that? What, what are they doing? Are they famous?" <laughs> Somebody thought we were self-important and just sitting next to each other talking on mics. Exactly, make sure we could hear each other. Um, but uh, it reminds me of this thing I saw: some guy in New York saved up his money, had like a thousand bucks. And he hired a couple of really big dudes uh, to, like, be bodyguards. And a couple of other people with cameras, flash cameras and video cameras and all this. And he walked through Times Square and set up this thing so like he was famous. And they were like, taking pictures and these two big dudes Jeez. with him. And... So and then there was someone else, some other friend who was like there. And so all these people started gathering around like, oh, who is it? It must be someone famous. And they all get in this big crowd and he had some fake name. And uh, the friend with the microphone was saying to people, uh, yeah, like, you know, this guy. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's great. And like, have you seen his films? Like, oh, oh man. You know, and, and one guy was like, yeah, you know, I like his early work better. Oh, he sort no. of sold out later. It's like Lord of the Flies type <laughs> stuff. It was such bullshit. Uh. It was like, 
created Mob this, mentality. This, yeah, mentality. exactly. He created this aura of fame around himself. No. Sort of like what we're doing, sitting here in a, <laughs> in a beer bar with a couple of microphones. It is working, though. It does work, yeah, yeah. But I think the the key is, like, we'd have to invite, like, cute chicks passing by. Hey, come say hello. And, like, that would be the way it's You'll be famous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Epic. What the hell were we talking about? Sanjay Gupta. You were saying yeah, it was a yeah, double, yeah. double-edged sword, uh, yes. Sanjay Gupta's uh, thing. Yeah, you know, San- Sanjay Gupta's documentary, Weed, and his the second one he did, um, were, it was, you know, Sanjay Gupta was one of the largest drug warrior propagandists on CNN, you know, for a very long time, you know. Right. And he helped to perpetuate the misinformation even though he's a medical doctor, and even though it's been, it was clearly established that cannabis had incredible medicinal potential for many years before he changed his position. So, whatever the, you know, the network changed their position to allow him to have a different change in belief. Interesting, by the way, I've got some inside insight into that. Uh-huh. Um, I was pitching a show about sexuality in L.A. with this production company down there, and their first choice of who they wanted to pitch it to was CNN, which sort of blew my mind. Like, CNN? Yeah, that's random. Because it was going to be very edgy and all that. And they said, no, no, CNN is completely rebranding because their audience is dying. Their audience is like old people in airports at this point. Yeah. Right? So CNN is trying to go edgy. they probably saw how weed blew up. So they so the first thing they did was they hired uh, George Strombolopoulos, this uh, Canadian talk wow. show guy. I don't know if they renewed him. He's great. I've been on his show. He's he's a wonderful interviewer. Uh, like a, he's real into music and you know rock and roll. He like that's his thing. Then they got um, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, well, hired CNN him. Did. Right, CNN did right, and so. In that context, that's when Sanjay Gupta saw uh, the light on marijuana. So wow. you know, okay. maybe there that was makes, some branding yeah, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Which is, I don't which, know. but which is a solid move. And so for whatever for whatever reason, awesome, good on them, good on the network, good on Sanjay Gupta, and because for what it's worth, Sanjay Gupta and the documentary introduced cannabidiol CBD to you know hundreds of millions, fifty million Americans, you know whoever, multi million Americans, right. people who you know, already trusted, yeah, him. trusted him and who have bought onto the program, yeah. you know that are not counterculturalists right. and are not like alternative thinkers or right. you know. On Sanjay's um, you know, their boy. He's no sure. hippie freak, right? For sure. For sure. <laughs> Sanjay's a good, sure. good boy. And so so good on him for that, but for what it created. So so, so the documentary Sanjay Gupta kind of did, they, one of the large focuses that they had was around this certain strain and this certain condition, right? So right. you met this girl, Charlotte Figgy, and Charlotte has Dravet or Dravet's. You know, and and it's it's this early childhood epileptic disorder where children will suffer up to hundred to two hundred epileptic seizures a seizures, day, yeah. grandma seizures a day, where these kids will be on nineteen mandated meds, including like benzos and like onfi and all these crazy right. anticonvulsants, all this crazy stuff, and they'll still have a hundred seizures a day. Yeah. You know, and so it does nothing, but like miraculously enough, 
like whenever given this certain ratio of CBD to THC that's found in this strain, Charlotte's Web, or and it's, it's not just that strain. It's that strain they didn't create that strain. I mean, that, I mean that's a ratio that the cannabis plant produces. That's right. a recessive ratio and trait that's common in a ton of different strains, including like you know, um, you know, there's the Love, which Wham has in Santa Cruz. There's um, ACDC. There's uh, Canisu, Harley Sue. So there's certain phenotypes of all these different strains that have this expressed ratio, which is 22 to 1 CBD to THC. And whenever the ratio of CBD to THC is present at that rate, in that ratio, whenever you give that to a kid with Dravets, even in the smallest amount, there's an incredible break in seizures. Like there's just a break. All of a sudden, you'll like some parents yeah, see a day, some people day. see three it was days. Amazing. Yeah. And so it's like this, whoa, something's happened, you know? But and then once parents are able to find the right milligram per kilogram dose of this CBD to THC ratio, boom, all of a sudden they're able to eliminate the seizures and begin to wean off the kids of these 19 mandated meds, including benzos and yeah, and like really all these other heavy, heavy shit. shits, yeah, yeah. you know. And so, so it's a so, fucking lifesaver, right? lifesaver. Yeah. But you know, the biggest problem is because of the documentary and because of this huge upsurge in like parent advocacy around this certain strain, the certain ratio of CBD THC, all of a sudden it's created these fires in all these other states that are non-medical cannabis states where they're where these non-medical cannabis states are supporting what's called CBD only legislation. So states like Florida and like there's there's at least like 5 maybe 10 states that are currently working to implement a medical cannabis bill through their legislature that only allows really high CBD, zero THC. And so, you know, although it is a foot in the door and it is a shift in the discourse of that area, it is disastrous because CBD only is not the answer. The cannabis plant is miraculous in what it has and what there is the potential to do right, with it. Right. But the thing is, is it's, it takes a almost like an apothecary, like alchemic, alchemic, alchemic type uh, implementation of the mixture of cannabinoids right. to actually get to the root of treating a certain condition. So, you know, for instance, um, GW Pharmaceuticals, you know, Ethan Russo's on the, you know, on, you know, works with them. He's, you know, like, I mean, they're, you know, they're the only, for what it's worth, you know, all these public trade companies, all these penny stocks, all this shit, they're all crap, all pump dumps, all this stuff. You know, this, I mean, so, a lot of them, there's some of them that are starting to come up that are actually of substance, but a lot of them have just been pump dump type stocks. GW Pharmaceuticals is trading on the NASDAQ. They're like a real. Where are they located? They're in the UK, you uh, know, but they, okay. they're creating this, like, all they're creating is a tincture. It's, a, it's called Sativex. Uh-huh. Sativex, it's a one-to-one ratio of THC to CBD, uh-huh. right? And they're selling this to hospitals. Yeah, they well, they, they, they have, um, you know, they're going through FDA clinical trials in the United States. They, they are approved to sell it through pharmacies to HMOs you know, uh, all over Europe. And, and why one-to-one? Is that the most like, well, universally useful? Well, so, so this gets into that point. And so it's one-to-one GW through their research and their patents and all their stuff. They have found that a one-to-one ratio seems to be most advantageous for treating conditions like multiple sclerosis. So multiple sclerosis seems to most effectively be treated whenever one-to-one's present. Really? Versus some other ratio, now right? That, and and, and then a lot of different of cancers stopping too. Stopping the progression of the disease, or just 
stopping, stopping the conditions seizures of, or, or well for multiple sclerosis it's like you know like uh, the anti-spasticity right. type uh benefits as well as the quality of life type benefits wow. and so 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 in their research and in their ip and all this other stuff they found that this one-to-one is the best for treating that as well as certain conditions of cancer because what's interesting is when thc and cbd they are there in equal parts they almost um intensify the effects of each other right right they you know right. greater than the sum of they have the a parts. S- uh, what's the word for that? symbiotic symbiotic or, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, synergistic yeah 100%, right, right and and no that's yeah. absolutely correct yeah. and so and so and so that's the thing and so same thing with chronic pain so so with chronic if you were to give the charlotte's web or the acdc this 22 to 1 that's uh-huh. given to these epileptic children that is the miracle if you were to give that to one of the you know the right. millions of americans that currently suffer from chronic pain it wouldn't do anything right. for them but whenever it's at like you know, two to one THC to CBD or like, you know, three to one THC or CBD to THC or even one to one CBD to THC. Whenever the ratio is elevated with THC, all of a sudden it turns into an agent that can eliminate the use of opiates. Right. I've in my, in my, in my path and the people I've encountered, I've seen multiple different examples of somebody being able to kick a three year Oxycontin or Darbacet addiction you know, from smoking a strain of cannabis that doesn't even get you high, like Harlequin, which is two to one. So it's like eight to 10% CBD, four to 6% THC. Right. But the thing is, depending on the condition you have, right, depends on the ratio of CBD to THC you need. And, and the so, whole thing about the CBD only is that it's anti pleasure. It's anti pleasure. What they're doing yeah. is like, we don't 100%. want anything that's going to make people feel good. Yeah. Can't down. have that. Because there's a conscious altering effect from THC. Fuck, man, America is such a strange country. Um, you know, and also as far as pain control goes, I've read some research that suggests that what's interesting about marijuana is that it most most pain control things like opioids and, and, you know, the rest of them, they block the pain receptors. Marijuana doesn't block the pain receptors, but it does something that allows people to continue to feel the pain, but to not be bothered in a by different. It yeah, much. you experience that pain right. in a different way. In a, yeah. It's a little bit more tolerable. Exactly. I mean, I, I was telling you earlier, I have a friend who's got a chronic pain condition, and she's very in, very connected to her body and very knowledgeable and all that. And, and she said that immediately is like, I still feel the pain, and I don't want to not feel the pain because the pain is full of information. It's very real. Oh, yeah. The pain is my body telling me what I need to do, what I need to adjust, what I need to feel. I don't want to block that message. Very I want to hear that message. Yeah. But... I can't tolerate it at that volume, you know. Yes. So it's it's kind of like it turns the volume down. Yes. You can still hear it, but it's not overpowering. And and that, and that's the thing. And that's why you know because there are more Americans that suffer from chronic pain currently in the United States than there are kids that suffer from Javets. So it's not yeah. that Javets good kids point. are more important. Good point. They just or make that good chronic television. pains are more important. Exactly. Yeah. And so so there's a very big issue with like the ignorant implementation of a policy right. that only benefits very few fuck florida. when the plant has such high what the yeah. fuck is up with florida and their bald-headed motherfucking rick scott asshole governor oh, what man. a piece of shit that dude is man yeah. I, I i won't rant on that it, but i mean yeah. anybody Jeff who doubts it just google rick fucking scott and you'll see what i'm talking about <laughs> the dude like ripped people off with his huge insurance scams you know he's he is the most despicable motherfucker imaginable and he's the governor of that fucked up state of florida and, and but but the best thing that could happen for florida is cannabis comes in because it seems like whenever yeah you know kind of 
bringing in some of the earlier points is like we're we're discussing it's like cannabis is a is a very interesting plant and when it comes into an area that doesn't use it and all of a sudden it, you know it starts to change minds and change opinions and right. like seems to have a powerful effect on like the the the, the socio socioeconomic political discourse of that area right well and and you know the other thing you were talking about the cbd only legislation and all that and yeah, I can see that as being, you know, yet another manifestation of fucked up, silly, anti-pleasure American political life. Um, but on the other hand, it's kind of like once you've got the plant, you know, you've, that's a pretty big foot in the door right there. Exactly, you know? exactly, which is why Cause they're I, gonna I have need to, to like, come in and do testing to find out sure. what it is I'm growing 100%. in my backyard. And, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And which is why I'm not trying to, like, blast an area for progress. Right. But it's just recognizing it the limitation yeah. in like yeah. what they're implementing, you know, and, yeah. and, the and once you create policy and, and, you know, legal framework, the amount of work that then goes into changing it, you know? Yeah. But, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the, the racist to, I remember, you ever seen, um, what was the TV show? All in the family. Mm-mm. Archie Bunker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a great show. That was the number one show for like seven or eight years running in the in the late seventies. And so Archie was a racist, and then George Jefferson moved in next door. Yes, right. That's right. And there was this whole uh, narrative arc that went over months of the show, maybe even seasons, where Archie had to come to the conclusion that George was actually a nice guy, good human being. Like okay, he's a good one. There's there are good good Negroes, right? So it's kind of I kind of feel like we're at that stage yeah. in in this. Sure. You know, it's like okay, well then maybe not all of marijuana is bad. This this marijuana helps these kids with seizures. And so again, we're the word marijuana, in. you know, and and on that yeah. point I was making earlier, because <laughs> right, exactly. it's like and it's up to us. And the point I was making on that earlier was like it's up to us as a community who use the word to describe this plant that we use and we have fond thoughts for to change the vernacular. And like take away the racial pejorative because we're currently calling ourselves n bombs, you know, when we describe marijuana and our use of this plant with marijuana, you know, well, and so but, that's why it's see, cannabis. I, I think a cannabis. lot of people don't have that association with the word. I mean, sure. I, I agree sure. with you, you know, with the roots of the word. and all that. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm I'm a big believer in rather than outlawing words that we use them uh, sure. mindfully and. Uh, you know, I use the word nigger Occupy before, the word. Yeah. I don't think anybody Absolutely. who knows me or listens to me or, or heard that in context would think I'm racist, of right? Course. So, I mean, I, I really, I, I always rebel against against these I appreciate that. people saying, you know, let's stop using this word or you can't use that word. You know, I rarely use that word out of sensitivity because that's obviously an extremely charged word. But um, in general, I hang out enough with comedians that I see how it affects them. You know, if anybody says you can't oh, talk yeah. about this, you're shutting down the entire industry. Because yeah. what they do is they talk about shit that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's why they're so fucking wonderful. Big you know? and, there, and there's a huge war currently on oh, words. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And, and, and so although... And also, cannabis includes hemp, right? Which... Which... Because I mean, there's not, no difference between the hemp plant and the... Since, it's just the know, THC the content. Plant. It's just the THC content. Yeah. So well, and for, also, hemp isn't grown to... 
to uh, you know accentuate the colas and yeah. the bugs well, and I, the so, resin. So imagine, so 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 you you showed me a really cool picture earlier of this huge hemp field out of you know in, in, in near a Barcelona, country, near yeah. Barcelona, Cardona. So it's outside now, of Cardona. So so imagine imagine if you had a three hundred gallon pot. Yeah. If you took one of those hemp seeds that that were planted all together in that field of hemp, if you took one of those seeds and you were to grow it in a 300-gallon pot and give it incredible lighting, you know, and perfect environmental conditions to grow, it would produce flowers. And it would, I mean, if it's a female plant, uh-huh. it would produce flowers. Right. And those female flowers would be big, and they would produce high levels of CBD. You know, because for just all hemp is, is technically, to be considered hemp, it has to be less than, you know, point, I think it's 0.5 or 0.8% THC, mm, right. less than 1%. And so, so technically, that's all that it is to call it hemp. Now, now imagine if you had that same 300-gallon pot and you took 1,000 seeds and you put those 1,000 seeds in that same 300-gallon pot, the plant will grow very different. Mm. Because if you, if you gave one seed the ability to establish a 300-gallon 300 root ball, right. that would be a tree right. that produces huge flowers. Right. But if you planted 1,000 seeds in that 300-gallon pot, you'd produce... A thousand plants that are fighting for root space that are very stretchy and viney and fibrous with very tiny flowers or hemp. Right, right. Yeah, interesting, interesting. How it responds to the environment it's in. I, I'll tell you that <laughs> funny story. Okay, so Cassie and I saw that in Barcelona. We came across that uh, that field, uh, and uh, like a month later, a buddy of mine was in town and I told him about it and he was like dude we got to go let's go out there and like cuz it'll be har- it'll be ready to harvest now let's go like yes. have a mission we'll go out there so we go out let's there go score. in the middle of the night right we drove out there in his car in the middle of the night we're wearing black clothes and we're all like you know commando <laughs> style and we go out Good into move. this field like way out in the middle of the field like the farmer's not going to give a shit you know we're talking we're, we were going to take like you know 20 plants or whatever and we had our knives and stuff and we cut down all the plants and then we're really doing it just for fun because it felt like being a little thrill. kid again yeah, you know, yeah like, that's a great thrill i used to rob our neighbor's <laughs> gardens all the time when i was a kid so we we grabbed all this weed put it in, stuffed it in these big duffel bags these military duffel bags brought it back to barcelona and i knew it was industrial right i, I just full of seeds and everything but it still smelled i mean you Drive over the mountain and you smell. You can't all take that the weed. marijuana out of the hemp plant. <laughs> exactly, you can take it out of the country. <laughs> but. So and that was, and I I had this ice uh, system that I had bought this uh, the, the bags the like different filters. Bubble bag, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Like so, I it was the one and only time I ever tried to to make ice hash. I I figured I could uh, break it down and whatever. It was garbage. I ended up with just like garbage. Really. Yeah, and I had like you know fifty pounds of of weed in this big bag. I don't remember. I dumped it, and I I don't remember what I did with it. But well, because you know, and it's funny because like the it. flower doesn't necessarily you know because if if you grow the plant in this way where they're fighting for root space and they're just so closely tight tightly planted, you know they're not necessarily going to be growing for the production of trichromes, you know, and all right. the sugary. Trikey stuff that you're going to be trying yeah. to extract into a hash. I don't know if they're using it for bird seed or fiber or something. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, and and also that's the thing. It's like if you have na- males and females growing together, and you know, 
the males are going to be letting off pollen and right. like essentially nutting on the females very early on. Nutting. <laughs> very, that's very, that's very that's gardening terms. <laughs> no, I was just trying to like make it sex at dawn appropriate. You know? <laughs> that's right. Inappropriate. <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, um, but it essentially, it's true. You know, Those when, of you out there suffering from hay fever right now, it's cause you've got plant cum in your eyes. All right. I <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> You are the subject of a springtime facial. <laughs> it's true, right? No, Pollen exactly. is plant cum. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, but, so if you imagine, like, <laughs> if you have male plants with female plants and the male plants produce pollen and f- spray that pollen on the female plants very early into flower production right. where the females weren't just horny doing their thing like we were talking about earlier just premature big, ejaculation yeah, is what we're yeah, talking and, about and, then, and then yeah. they're without the females ever developing to produce anything of substance that you want to collect right they've been seeded and once the plant gets seeded once it once it gets pollinated it, it goes into seed production mode right. so there's no longer uh chemical biosynthesis of these certain cannabinoids Right. You know, happening. It's like now into creating seeds. So it just you never get what would otherwise be there if you right. separated the males and gave it space to grow. So speaking of nutting, let's get back to your ex girlfriend. Nice. Who I, I I gotta say, her father's cool. Yeah, yeah, your right? father's really cool. I mean, a guy who knows you're banging his daughter, who invites you up and helps you out and introduces you to his friends, that is a good dude. Right? Yeah, no, he's an incredible dude, and she's an incredible female, you know. I'm, That's really sweet. She, I'm she really happy. Me. I could tell the way, just the way you said her name an hour ago, that although she, you described her as your ex-girlfriend, the way you said her name, I could just feel like you still love her. It's nice. Yeah, oh, for sure. No, no, with That's, that, that's without a doubt. She, I would, you know, I, I bring her name up. And I bring his name up because both characters have so profoundly impacted my life and where my life is going and my involvement in the cannabis movement, you know, and where I'm at and the lab and everything, you know, because we moved out from the East Coast. We saved up money, moved to Santa Cruz, couldn't find jobs or place to live. Her dad invited us up, you know, to help us not fill the difficult landing. And we went up there. You know, I gained the skill set in organic in organic farming not just cannabis farming but growing plants and this incredible therapeutic property of connecting to a plant and growing a plant and it changed my whole life and so from spending a year up there taylor and i moved then down to santa cruz and when we're in santa cruz we're there you know um for a couple years um you know before we could really find friends or you know meet all these people but i eventually started working in the hydroponic industry um, in, the you know, in the hydroponic, hydroponic. Uh, industry, so you know you have these these hydroponic stores, you know, spread where where you know specialty garden stores essentially, where you can go buy you know lighting and hydroponic pumps and like uh, nutrients and you know all you know or integrated pest management methods and techniques and and so for uh, about did you sell those those things that eat mites, uh, like the it? predator predatory yeah, mites the, yeah the uh, what are they called are they predatory mites are they Ladybugs? Ladybugs. Well, yeah, oh, I used, yeah. to, I used to buy ladybugs by yeah. mail order and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, any any in a, any proper integrative pest management technique implements, you know, the use of organic, you know, oil-based pesticides right. instead of synthetic crazy translomer pesticides. Chili peppers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you I used to like grind capsaicin. up chili peppers, capsaicin, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, yeah. there's these incredible organic ways to prevent pests. Yeah. And then you release natural predatory mites and predatory ladybugs to, like, keep down the presence of 
bad like unwanted you know cannabis pests like spider mites which are the number one spider mites you know bad people in your reality and then thrips and aphids and all these other things i used to pick the the inchworms off the out of the buds at night go out there with a flashlight oh and those are a whole awful one you have to work with outdoor which sucks oh man but i liked it i mean i was growing on my terrace in spain i had five or six plants that's incredible um it was fun to go out there and pick those fucking inchworms off there and drop them in the soapy water and And, watch them struggle as they fell to the bottom (laughs) Like yeah, the soapy water. And that's soapy water. That's an organic like oil that suffocates and kills. Well, no, I put I the soap see, in the water because it. it breaks the surface tension, so mm-hmm. the the thing falls through the surface. Otherwise, the worms st- stay on the surface. Oh, nice! And they can crawl back out. Oh, wow! So one drop of, of soap, a dishwasher detergent or something, breaks that surface Surfect? tension. Anything you drop goes right to the bottom. Wow! Yeah. Wow. What were we saying about Viking? Oh no! There's this TV show called Vikings that it opens with a scene of like it's uh, Vikings falling to the bottom of the ocean. Oh, nice. Always reminds me of the because they're nice. sort of like still alive and they're struggling. Reminds me of those fucking inchworms I sent to their demise. <laughs> well, you know, for what it's worth, though, the high my highest respects from within the cannabis industry and movement come to the farmer and the grower. Because that's where it all begins, you know, from this relationship with yeah. man and plant yeah. and this called, you know, this this long term investment thing that you have with this plant to produce and create and like and the incredible yeah. ramifications that has with post-traumatic stress disorder and mm-hmm. and and horticultural therapy, because I'm a veteran. I work a lot with post-traumatic stress and I have a lot of passions behind kind of bring this awareness to light because of the veteran suicide epidemics that are currently happening. You didn't see any action when you were in the Navy, did you? No, thankfully I didn't. You know, I'm, I'm blessed in the situation to have been on a submarine and to have not, you know, kind of been on the front lines to experience You guys were just trauma. there in case we needed to end the world. Yeah, you know, we, I mean, we're out doing certain missions and deployments in certain parts of the world to do certain things of intelligence and, you know, surveillance and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, you know, we didn't kind of participate in that level. And, right. and, and for that, I'm thankful because there's a level of moral injury. You know, there's a really good Huffington Post article about moral injury and mm. what that means and, like, the reality of that. And, right. And that's, uh, you know... I'm very thankful to have not have been through that, but I also feel an obligation now to speak truth to power and speak on behalf of vets and to to work right. with you know structures that are in front of me to help bring Fuck these yeah, things to light. You know, Fuck yeah, good for you. Because I mean, you were there. It wasn't your choice that stopped you from being deployed in a place where you would be in action. Right, you were there. Exactly. You could have been. They could have said, "Okay, we're going to." Uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to go sit off. Well, a, a lot of boats that I was with ended up going and sitting off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and waiting for their salvo uh, kind of lineup order to start launching Tomahawk missiles at Iraq during the opening right. salvo of the shock and awe campaign when right. when we just like lit up Iraq and turned it into a parking lot from the Mediterranean. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's like very disconnected war. Just like these drone kind of re- oh, these drone control. dudes outside of uh, Las Vegas, yeah, and like Syracuse, you know, just in like Syracuse too, uh, yeah, yeah, outside of Syracuse and Vegas, you know, there's these huge there, drone war, drone, drone. There was bases. this army Seneca Army Depot uh, near Syracuse when I was in college. It was right near uh, Geneva, New York. It was about an hour from Syracuse. I don't know if it's the same place, but it's old, and that's where they had the the nuclear waste from the um, Manhattan Project. Wow. And uh, it was always like super high security and, you know, 
but it, but the fence ran right along this road from Geneva, New York to Ithaca, and I used to go on this road a lot because I had friends in, at Cornell and Ithaca, and I go back and forth all the time. And the fence just ran along the road, and you could see these herds of albino deer inside the compound. Whoa. Herds of fucking albino, albino deer, deer, man. Is that from the presence of like that? radioactive waste crazy i don't know but and there was a bar in geneva that had it was just like some you know working man's bar in this little town and uh on the wall they had a a mounted head of an albino deer (laughs) like somebody had gotten i don't know if the deer jumped the fence or that's uh, like a prophecy in some like (laughs) native american tradition it was pretty heavy yeah jeez crazy crazy so influence but I'm All right, so how the, how did you get? Okay, so you're in, you're in Mendocino. You're with your your girlfriend, her dad. You're trimming buds. You're learning how to grow and all that. So where where do you go from there? Cool. So so and this so is yeah. when this is. So this is in. Um, I got out of the navy in 2006, August 16th, 2006. Um, moved to California in early 2007. Um, was there at area. How old are you now? I'm 30 years old. You're 30. 30, yes, sir. Fucking punk is what you are <laughs> fucking baby all right anyway, but um 30 but yeah so so you know um move so 2007 um was in northern california and then moved down to after the harvest in like november december moved down to santa cruz and, and why was santa, santa cruz, cruz you were pushing to go to santa cruz well i was why? i was pushing to go to, and that's that's why this this girl taylor is such an amazing person in the story is because i was pushing to go to long beach because i had the gi bill and i wanted to become an electrical engineer uh-huh. Going to Cal State Long Beach, LBC, because my brother lives in Torrance and he he's a mechanical engineer, but my girlfriend Taylor at the time, she was fighting to stay in Santa Cruz because that's where she's originally from. Yeah, and so you know she ended up getting what she wanted. We ended up staying in Santa Cruz. Her decision had not turned us wrong yet. Uh-huh. We'd been we spent eight months in you know Mendocino County under okay. this you know mentorship of an incredible you know organic farm, and. um you know, then in Santa Cruz, I got a job at the hydroponic shop. I started uh, working basically retail hydroponic stuff, uh, consulting, teaching people to grow, teaching people how to optimize uh, nutrient regimens, uh, you know, integrated pest management, all this and other stuff. And you're learning the shit as you're going along, 100%. right? One hundred percent. Oh no, yeah. it, it, I was. I feel like I was receiving my master's degree. Right. Like I, if 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 I was up in Mendocino County, um, you know attaining my master my bachelor's degree in cannabis growing right i feel like i became a specialist in a bit of a way because mendocino you know, it's all outdoor 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and then and then you know in santa cruz i was doing indoor growing and stuff like that so i was doing indoor and then i was working the hydro store and i was i was i was teaching so i was learning that much more right and i was kind of picking up all these organic uh you know integrated pest management methods and i was like starting to do all these different levels of consulting from outdoor to indoor to like greenhouse to like you know five lights to like hundred lights and um and you know from there essentially once again taylor you know this female in in the story she was where you know i was working at the hydro store she was working at macy's makeup counter and her friend at macy's Ma- she she developed a friendship with this girl at macy's makeup counter in santa cruz um with this girl leah who you know they had kind of you know they became friends they started conversing and they they had, they had kind of just seen where each other were at they could kind of feel that their boyfriends were both in the cannabis industry <laughs> and so she That's kind of funny. like macy's is such a conventional macy's was the connector scene, right? and the changer yeah. of the game because right. for us because taylor and leah had become friends at macy's makeup counter and they introduced me and josh 
you know, who's now my future, who's now my business partner. Uh-huh. And Josh, um, you know, he was growing a little bit of hot. And he 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 was you know a, a synthetic chemist working for like a company like Samsung and uh, some some um, um, pharmaceutical company in the Bay, and um, and and essentially you know we'd become friends and you know we just started hanging out and then he had applied for a Craigslist job on um, you know on, online and for for a cannabis laboratory director, so he, he so Josh had become the lab director for one of the first cannabis testing labs in the nation, this lab, Steep Hill Labs, which is actually the first cannabis testing lab in the nation. And so I was so fascinated this whole time with, with when, whenever he had gotten the job as this lab director, as a chemist for this laboratory, I was so interested in it, and I was working in the hydroponic industry, and um, it was all very synchronistic. Cause, so, so, so Taylor had connected me to Josh, through through his girlfriend Leah from Macy's makeup counter was Leah hot? We're friends. Leah's super hot. Yeah, it's just the name hot. Leah makes me think oh, she was. She's hot. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And Josh is the fucking Josh is the man. Josh is <laughs> he's 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 one of those dudes. And yeah, yeah, he's like like you, you know. But oh, like but me. old drunk, yeah, <laughs> bit gingerish, you know, and like killing it, uh-huh. you know, on that level. But, but anyway, um, so so you know, we'd become friends. I, I was really interested in his job. I, I, I ended up getting later on in, you know, in 2008, 2009, pardon me, in Santa Cruz because of Taylor's friends, because she, she, for about till she was in fifth grade, Taylor had lived in Santa Cruz before she moved to Spokane. And so some of her early childhood friends, you know, like me and her lived together in Santa Cruz for two years, couldn't find friends. And Taylor just kind of like helping out. She, she got connected to this one dude, Troy, who she had gone to school with when she was in elementary. And we had, you know, tiny became, became friends. Troy very randomly invited me on this camping trip with this, like, 15 group of uh, 15 dudes. They called the Man Trip. And it's the like... Man Trip? <laughs> How many dudes? <laughs> like, 15 dudes. Uh, some of the most epic human beings wow, I've ever met. Sounds like being on the submarine. <laughs> yeah. Well, well <laughs> way cooler bunks? dudes. <laughs> no, no, but these are way cooler dudes, and it's like... It, well, hot, the trips, rack. The tr- hot rack. The trip starts with all going to this one spot. Eating a half full of mushrooms and going on a five day pack into this amazing venture. No shit. And fifteen dudes that all have grown up with each other in Santa Cruz all their lives. Amazing oh, dudes. That's cool. And I was the one odd man out. That fucking is cool. Yeah. And it's so cool to be invited into yeah, that. That's what, what I'm saying. Like, I felt what so an humble honor. Honor. and Taylor got me the ju- got me the position to get invited. And then this dude Troy invited me because he saw something in me. And then I went on this camping oh, trip. That's and from great. that from this one camping trip, there's this I mean it was just all a series of synchronistic moments. And so on this camping trip, I ended up connecting. You know, I was just trying to... I didn't know any of these dudes, but they know each other all their lives. And so I was just, you know, in this psychedelic state of eating, you know, San Pedro cactus every day and going on these amazing <laughs> hikes. And, you know, I was trying to figure out my shit. Macy's! Like, so, <laughs> so I was trying to gather my sea legs and just, like, yeah. relate, relate to each other. Right. And the one person, you know, there's this guy, Ian, that, you know, I was still trying to get to relate to who's now my business partner my fourth business or my third business partner in this story. And I'd connected with him um, on this trip and, you know, his dad was this, you know, really big cannabis lawyer. And so, you know, we were just kind of chopping it up about cannabis lawyer, cannabis public defense lawyer, helping people out who get busted. Uh Exactly. Yeah. But very, his name is Ben Rice. Very reputable, very cool. legit dude. That's like, uh, you know, helped, you know, kind of helped in a lot of ways, progress the whole movement. Right. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, we were just kind of chopping it about future of the industry type stuff. And, 
you know, I just randomly re- just recalled this one little five cent five word thing that Josh had told me once. Because whenever me and Josh were friends, and he worked at this cannabis testing lab, and I was like, "Man, I'm so interested in this." And one day he came up to me, he's like, "Dude, I could do this way better." And it, that just stuck in my head. You know, it was just this like little phrase that stuck in my head. And then I was on this camping trip, and I connected with Ian, and. You know, I we were just talking about future industry stuff. I told him about my friend Josh that worked in this canvas lab, and you know, I told him that one phrase. He's like, "Yeah," and he thinks he can do it way better. It was just something like that. Didn't even right. think anything of it. And then you know, trip ended. Six months later, Ian called me up, and he's like, "Hey, what's up, Alec? Uh, it's Ian. You know, from the man trip." He's like, uh, "I think might have found an investor on that idea you were talking about," and he's like, "Would you be interested in linking up with him?" with your friend with my me and my boy you know on this date and so we end up meeting at the wharf at this place called Olitas in Santa Cruz mm-hmm. and we sat down and we had a meeting and from that meeting we've now been together pr- essentially every day for the last like three and a half four years wow and have you know created you know pr- essentially the largest cannabis testing laboratory in the in the United States no shit who's yeah. the investor if, if so you could so talk about so it. the person that basically Ian brought forward to the table was um you know my 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 business partner who's our CEO his name's Jeff Jeff Gray and Jeff came came with his family's uh you know basically his own personal and his family money and that he was able to kind of pull together and then from small owner investments from each one of us right. we were able to very grassrootsy start you know, which we have essentially now scaled to a company where we now have about 30 employees. No shit. And, yeah, and then we're you know currently expanding in uh, states like Washington, Colorado. Fantastic, so. man. Fantastic. Yeah. Incredibly exciting. And, and, and you're, you're in at the perfect moment. You're in at the beginning of it. You're in with your friends. I mean, everything's just perfect. Yeah. It's really no, sweet. I, I feel incredibly you know serendipitous with the way it's all gone and very humbled about the whole thing. And what's thing. Blake get out of this? Blake is the fucking man. No, Blake and his daughter, Blake, Tim Blake, Taylor Blake. I mean, in, Ta- oh, sorry, Taylor Blake. Right. Yeah, right. infinitely for both of them. You know, I'm yeah. infinitely in debt and yeah. grateful, and we'll bring it back around towards. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, man. That's really. I mean, I love stories like that where it's all organic and the karma is so good, and it's all about friendship and you know, connecting at the right time with the right people and they remember and you remember and you say that line that resonates. Yeah. 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 I can't even, I mean, and, and, and every, kind of, I, every fucking good company probably began with somebody saying, dude, I could do this so much better. That's cool. You know, that's cool. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, you're right. You're exactly right. You know, everything like, worth doing. Yeah. All right, man. Listen, this has been great. This is probably oh, one of the longest podcasts I've ever done. But uh, really? yeah, I really enjoyed I, it. I incredibly appreciate yeah you having me on and your time. I incredibly look up to you and appreciate oh, yeah, everything. Don't look up to me. Like, no, no, big time. You know, look much across, respect. Look across. <laughs> oh, hey, the Harleys There's are starting. <laughs> that's our that's our sign. The little dick men are leaving, so we should too. Uh, thanks, thanks again, man. Thank Alec. you. So stoked. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away?
Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.